My name is Nick, and I'm the host of the Tennis Podcast. Normally, we cover a new top tennis list every week, but we're taking this and the next few weeks off from new episodes for my sanity. During the break, I'll make sure this feed stays active with some best of content featuring some of our most downloaded episodes from our extensive library. This week, I've packaged together two episodes where me and my sidekick host, Brandon, took a deep dive into two of our all-time favorite TV shows. First, back on episode 32, originally released in May 2019, we detail our favorite characters, moments, quotes, and more from Seinfeld. Then, immediately following that, we do the same thing, but for The Office, which was episode 80 from April 2020. We'll be back with brand new content later this month, but for now, grab a pretzel and some junior mints because it's time to get to the show. Giddy up. Hello, and welcome to the Tennis Podcast. La la la. (laughs) My name's Nick, that's my sidekick host, Brandon. Uh, You might say Brandon's the Newman to my Jerry. I'm shaped the same way too. Shaped the same way, smell the same way. He got skinny. He got, well, skinny, I mean. He did, I think he got thin. He got skinnier. I'm looking him up, I think he got actually thin. He's flappy, kind of like Fat Bastard in Austin Powers 3. Flappy? You know, skin skin flaps and pockets. Okay, hang on. Before, <laughs> why don't we tell the people why we're doing a bunch of Seinfeld talk here. It's, we're doing a special episode this week. Usually, this is the show where one of us comes prepared with the top tennis list. Yada, yada, yada. You know the drill by now. This week, we're doing a special episode where it's Seinfeld everything. We have a bunch of mini lists all pertaining to Seinfeld. If you've listened to our show for even 30 seconds in the past, and we all know you've listened to every second of every episode, and thank you for that including you, Jerry. We are big Seinfeld fans and from listener demand, we were asked to do this. And you know, I didn't fight the people on it, but we were asked to make a Seinfeld-centric episode and that's what we're here to do, Brandon. I thought we were threatened. Threatened, sure, yeah. Uh, I've looked at pictures of uh, Wayne Knight who played Newman and no, he did not get skinny. I mean, he lost weight and he yeah he looks much healthier now than he did before, but I've skinny is going too far. I just went too far. We all know you go too far. Your inflatable wife calls me sometimes to tell me that Brandon went too far again. <laughs> I, po- I popped. Uh, Wayne Knight, he did Newman and his character in Jurassic Park. Those are the only two good things he's ever done. What if he has children? He has children. Okay, we have a bunch of Seinfeld lists today. We're going to fucking talk about Seinfeld. All right, well. And if you don't like Seinfeld, one, unsubscribe from our show. Two, just listen to this whole damn show anyway. I'm going to guess that most people, if they saw Seinfeld in the feed, they're just going to skip this one if they don't like Seinfeld. But if you happen to be listening to this and you're not a Seinfeld viewer, I just, what do I have to do to get you to do it? Do you want me to come to your house and hold your hand? This is a great thing to happen to you. Why do you fight it? Just watch the damn thing. My mission in this episode is to convince the non-watchers, what's a Seinfeldism I could say about those people? The bizarros out there, I'm stra- okay, you get it. You're going to watch Seinfeld by the time this episode's over. Where are they going to find it? On Hulu. Hulu, you, if you have a Hulu subscription, all the Seinfeld episodes are on Hulu. Or if you have a TV subscription... It's on like... Every channel at all times. Well, I actually have a bunch of notes related to this. Uh, I, I have a rundown of some quick 
fascinating Seinfeld facts to start us out. Is that all right with give you? Me, yeah, I'll give me some Nick's, Nick's notes on Seinfeld. That's hashtag Nick's notes. So, I have Hulu things in here. I'll just go from the top though. Seinfeld, the show Seinfeld. It's based on the life of Jerry Seinfeld. You may have heard of him. Seinfeld ran for nine seasons on NBC between 1989 and 1998. 89, was that the year of your first wedding, Brandon? Uh, the show was created by Jerry Seinfeld and his friend Larry David. The show was nominated for a lot of Emmys. It won an Emmy in 1993. It's often described as being a show about nothing, as many of its episodes are about the minutiae of daily life. A couple of other accolades Seinfeld can boast. In 2013, the Writers Guild of America voted it the number two best written TV series of all time. Do you know what number one was, Brandon? Sopranos. Sopranos. Did you know that or did you just guess that? I knew it. You didn't fucking know. I knew it had, I knew it must be Sopranos. I've not seen Sopranos, but I hear good things. Yeah, you hear them from me because I keep telling you to just watch it. You have an HBO subscription. But it's such an endeavor, Brandon. It's like a thousand seasons. Yeah, you just open your eyes and point them at the TV and it starts happening to you. <laughs> Would you agree with me that Seinfeld is a show that if you've never seen it, you don't have to watch it in order? And in fact, I encourage people for their first time, I encourage them to skip the first few seasons. I think the first few seasons are good, but they're very slow and I feel like the later seasons are a lot quicker to get into it. Later seasons do a lot better job of tying together two or three completely different storylines and wrapping yeah. them up in a fun or surprising way and the early seasons didn't really do that. No. Again, the early seasons are really good. It's just I think you'll appreciate them more if you watch the later seasons first and there's no reason to watch everything in order because Seinfeld's a very, for the most part, every episode is very self-contained. The E or E exclamation point, E, E. Name this. Oh, E for entertainment. Yes. Oh, yeah. oh, it's entertainment. Are you sure it's not esophagus? <laughs> Erection. E. Name the series the number one reason the 90s ruled. Okay, thanks, E. <laughs> I was quote. wondering. And quotes from numerous episodes have become catchphrases in popular culture. More on that in a minute. Seinfeld, you remember in episode 16 um, when you came with the most watched TV finales ever? Mm hmm. Seinfeld's... It's up there. Spoiler alert, Seinfeld's number four. It had 76 million viewers and 58% of all TV viewers that night were tuned into Seinfeld. Anyone in the entire country of the United States yeah. who had the television on, 58% yeah. of them were on Seinfeld. Yeah, I was one of them. That's huge. I was probably paying, playing Pokemon Yellow in my Game Boy around that time. So, I was not watching that. <clears throat> Now, here's where we get into the Hulu and some money. Lots of money notes here, which is going to blow your mind. According to Forbes magazine, Jerry Seinfeld's earnings from the show in 1998 alone, so 1998, which was the final season, $267 million. And NBC offered Jerry $5 million per episode to continue into a 10th season, which would have been a record and may still be a record for an actor to be paid per episode on a show. I would have been right there for it. Because something I noticed as I was doing this is a lot of episodes I really loved that I thought happened a lot earlier in the series were in season nine. Yeah. Uh, when I was going through my favorite episodes for this, epi for this podcast episode, 
season nine dominates my list. The show just gets more ridiculous <laughs> as it goes on, but more um, trivial. George really comes into his own with his schemes. Yes. We'll get into that. So, the offer NBC made to Seinfeld was over three times higher per episode than anyone on TV had ever been offered before. Let's do that again. 1998, NBC offered Jerry $5 million per episode to continue, which was three times higher than anyone in the history of television had ever been offered. That's insane. Yeah. And he turned it down. He told the network he was not married nor had children and wished to focus on his personal life. And he did. He married someone much younger and they had kids. He, got to, he has two kids now. It's easy to forget how old Jerry is. When Seinfeld ended, he was in his mid-40s. Now he's 84. Yeah, now he's 84. And Jerry Stiller, who played Frank Costanza, is uh, 307. Is he alive? Ah, uh, yes, barely. <laughs> As I was doing this, I didn't want to... You didn't want to look at his age? I was afraid to look him up. He's 91. Yeah. Well, I've told you this before off air, but I get upset thinking about it because to me... Jerry Stiller, who plays Frank Costanza, is as integral to the show being funny in the later seasons as anyone else. And if they ever did a Seinfeld reunion, and you have to think they're going to have to do one at some point, right? I don't think so. Okay, well, if they ever do and they wait until Jerry Stiller's dead, I'm going to be upset. Jerry's dad's already dead, his TV dad. Who's having sex with the hen? <laughs> okay. As of July 2007, so this is a little old, but I found this on Wikipedia. As of July 2007, he was the second highest earner in the TV industry. So, think about that. The show had been off the air for nine years and nine years after the show went off the air, he was still the current second highest earner in the entire industry. Yeah. Just from syndication of the show, 60 million per year just from reruns of Seinfeld. It's one of those shows like The Simpsons that they just put on every single day like clockwork. If you were stuck to any kind of routine, you could depend on Seinfeld being on at a certain time. Yeah. And I still remember the stupid, I don't know, this has probably been more than 10 years ago since Seinfeld came on every night at 10 p.m. and 10.30 here in Tulsa, Oklahoma on our local station, KOKI. Uh, but I remember the promo every night would be... Um, it's time for your favorite show about nothing. Seinfeld is next. Yeah, I remember that. And when that guy, the way that guy says, guy says it's your favorite show about nothing makes me think he'd never seen an episode. No. But you know, Seinfeld is one of those shows that's mass appealing, obviously. I mean, the success of the show is very evident from all these notes I'm reading. I wonder if there's a list of the most rerun shows in history. Seinfeld's got to be up there. But I think despite all that, it can still be a show that's hard to get. If you've never seen it before and you're an adult and you've always heard about Seinfeld but you've never taken the time to watch one episode and then you finally watch one, I think it can be hard to get it at first and be like, what's, you know, do you agree with that or do you think it's something that is able to grab a modern day adult immediately? I don't know. I guess it depends on how old that modern day adult is or... Let's just assume they're younger than you because most people are. I don't know. I think I think a lot of people younger, younger. Those whippersnappers. I think a lot of people probably take for granted that these things were not always in pop culture, and that the show is responsible for a lot of things that they are aware of, but probably don't realize were popularized or brought right. about because of the show. 
So, the show became the first TV series in history to command over $1 million for a minute of advertising. Previously, that had only been attained by the Super Bowl. So, other than the Super Bowl, Seinfeld was the first show ever and it's just a 30-minute sitcom. Well, yeah, it's 22 minutes. There's eight. Yeah, so, it's, right. if it's eight minutes, eight minutes of commercials per episode, then that means... I, I just don't understand how the math works because that means that each episode could bring in $8 million in advertising revenue. Yeah. At least $8 million. Yeah, but they're going to pay Jerry five. Well, there's more to it than just the ad revenue. Yeah. There's merchandise and there's all kinds of stuff. Syndication. Syndication, right. Which syndication is the biggest money maker. In fact, through the years, as of 2017, Seinfeld had garnered more than $4 billion in revenue just from syndication. So, ad revenue for these reruns, and some of these reruns are at like 3 o'clock in the afternoon. Ad revenue and reruns for Seinfeld through 2017, $4 billion in revenue. It's insane. The house that Larry built. Yeah, right? I wonder how much of this money Larry's seeing. Plenty. My last note here and then I'll stop is you mentioned Hulu. Seinfeld was not available for streaming anywhere until Hulu in 2015 and they're still there now as of March 2019. It cost Hulu between $130 and $180 million to bring the entire Seinfeld catalog to the streaming service. Well, this seems like a bargain compared to how much syndication costs. I mean, there's no way to know this but I wonder the percentage of people, the primary reason they originally signed up was because of Seinfeld. That's the primary reason that I've used multiple email accounts for multiple two-week trials of Hulu to watch Seinfeld. <laughs> yeah. Seinfeld is uh, a powerhouse, one of the biggest of all time. And I mentioned and you mentioned that all these phrases and language and verbiage that's a part of the pop culture that originated or at least became well-known from Seinfeld, a few of these that are in everyday language, shrinkage, mm -hmm. low talker, close talker, close talker, man hands, man hands, not that there's anything wrong with that. Festivus, what are some other obvious ones I'm missing? A house for my boys. My boys can swim. I'm out there and I'm loving every minute of it. Master of your domain. Mm -hmm. Yeah, we could go on and on but all those things were popularized by Seinfeld if you've heard any of those phrases before. If you just crawled out from under a rock. Right. Or if you just crawled out from under a big old butt. <laughs> Or you've just woken up from a decades-long coma. Well, you forget that our podcast, the primary purpose of it, Brandon, is to educate our listeners. That's right. It's edutainment. Edutainment. This is edutainment. So, today, Brandon and I have a series of top five lists, top five side characters, top five episodes, mm -hmm. top five quotes or references, top five life lessons. Do I have all that right? That's what I've got. All right. That's what I got. Let's start with those side characters because as popular and well-known as the four main characters are, some of these side characters could have their own shows. I'm going to surprise you with some of mine. So, I considered anyone that wasn't one of the main four a side character. Okay. So, like Newman would count toward a side character. Right. In my book. Okay. Is Newman on your list? Do you think Newman is funny? You don't like Newman? Newman's not on my list. Newman's number five for me. 
Do you think Newman himself is funny or just the things, the way that Newman sets himself up for comedy is funny? I do really enjoy Newman when he's evil. (laughs) Diabolical. (laughs) Diabolical. I love Newman too because he's Kramer's best friend but then Kramer's also best friends with Jerry and then Jerry and Newman hate each other but then they all still work together sometimes in the evil schemes. Sure. Like when uh, they all wanted the shower heads. They have to form an alliance. Yeah, and I also love all the male jokes on Seinfeld. <laughs> Why aren't you at work? It's raining. <laughs> You're a mailman. Rain nor sleet nor snow. It's the first one. Uh, and Newman comes up and says, thank you, Postal Man Dan. Now go enjoy your four-hour break, please. <laughs> and also, one of my quotes, I'll just give you a spoiler here, is Newman He's diabolically states this and then scurries away. He always, he (laughs) likes to scurry away, but he says, just remember this, when you control the mail, you control information. And then he scurries off. And kind of squeals as he does it. So, but you're you're agreeing with me on some of this stuff and you're still saying he's not funny. He is funny. He isn't laser focused in on my funny bone. Well, I already know one of yours is going to be Mr. Kruger. (laughs) Mr. I listed seven in case you made me kick off. I have eight. Okay. Well, uh, I actually have seven and Mr. Kruger is number six on mine. Mr. Kruger, uh, George's boss from Kruger Industrial Smoothing, really tickles me because of how much he doesn't give a shit. I have some notes on him too. This is from Wikipedia. George is often forced to push Kruger to do his work, to which Kruger usually responds, I'm not too worried about it. Yeah, I don't care. Or another example is Kruger's company botched the Statue of Liberty job, as he put it, because they couldn't get the green stuff off and is infamous for losing money. When viewing company financial reports, Kruger nonchalantly exclaimed, wow, we really took it on the chin last year. Yeah, took it on the chin. (laughs) And it's his company. (laughs) Yeah. But you know, I couldn't believe this, but when I was doing research, I pulled Kruger out because I knew you'd choose him. Mm -hmm. He only appears in four episodes. Well. He makes a goddamn good impression. I would have guessed like 10 episodes, but it's four. One of my favorite episodes prominently features Kruger. Kruger is on there at six. Well, I know that Frank Costanza is on yours. I think Frank is going to be both of our number ones, am I right? It is my number one, yeah. Yeah, Frank's my number one. Frank Costanza is a special character played by a very special guy. Of all the Frank moments, I think the times that he makes me laugh the most is when he's in a yell fight with Estelle, uh-huh. George's mom. The one I always think about is when George and his parents are going out somewhere and Frank's wearing a tie, <laughs> Estelle <laughs> says something like, what, what are you wearing that tie for? And he goes, what's wrong with this tie? She says, it's too big. They're wearing them thin now. Frank immediately goes from zero to ten. <laughs> you have no eye for fashion. And she goes, I have no eye for fashion. And she's like having an aneurysm while she's... <laughs> and George has to step in. Uh, and do you remember, this is totally off topic, but George is suspicious of his parents blowing him off. Mm-hmm. They said they had Chinese food. So, Jerry says... And this is such a subtle thing about the show Seinfeld is they get this exact minutia detail of life so spot on. Jerry says, check the fridge. If they had Chinese, there's leftovers. Yeah. It's so funny because there is always fucking leftovers. It's pizza and Chinese. Anyway. There's pizza in my fridge right now. I have none to fucking doubt right next to the huge ass fucking hot dogs that you had transported (laughs) from the Atlanta airport. In the bun. What was I going with that? I guess that's it. Oh, Frank tells George they're cutting them loose. (laughs) They've had it with him. (laughs) Just flatly. 
while you were setting that up, I found the quote, what he says to George when they kick him out. <laughs> and it says, George, we've had it with you. Understand? We love you like a son. <laughs> we love you like a son. We love you like a son, but even parents have limits. <laughs> I wish I had access. I wish I had pulled more Frank Costanza quotes. There's a lot of Frank Costanza rattling around in my brain, but. So, let me get this straight. You had the chicken, the hen, the rooster. And he's using his hands very elaborately the whole time. Chicken goes with the rooster. So, who's having sex with the hen? <laughs> there, he has a very halting way of speaking. <laughs> I could listen to him read the dictionary and it would probably make me laugh. And it's so funny too because when he came on, he was supposed to be a, his character was supposed to be a feeble man that cowered to Estelle. But uh, apparently, the actor, Jerry Stiller, got so fed up with her yelling at him in the scenes that he <laughs> would fight back and yell at her back. And then the writers all loved it and they changed his character. I, I don't understand why he would, I didn't know that actually and I don't know why he would have originally been written that way because early in the show when you meet George Costanza, you of all those characters, you may be wondering like, George seems like he's equipped to be normal. Why is he this way? And then when the more you see of his parents, you're like, how could he turn out any other way <laughs> than the way he is in this show? The person who would say it's not a lie if you believe it could only have come from Frank and Estelle. I'm like a phoenix rising from Arizona. <laughs> and the way he waves his hands in the air, puts, he puts his arms straight up and looks to the sky when he does it. Yeah. That's like, he doesn't just deliver the line, he full body. He's all in on it. Yeah. I actually remembered while you were talking, my number one favorite Frank moment and maybe my favorite, this is big of me to say, but I think it might be true. My number one favorite moment in all of Seinfeld. Are you ready? Okay. And there's so much to it because it's not just the laugh line from Frank. It's the setup. It's the reaction on the other side. It's the pettiness and the smallness of the entire scenario, <laughs> but you could still see it happening in real life. Right. And it's this. The Seinfelds are moving to Del Boca Vista. And Frank and Estelle, George convinces his parents to go. And so, the Seinfelds hear about it, Jerry's parents that is. I don't remember how word gets back to the Costanzas that the Seinfelds don't want them there. Somehow, they hear of that. And Frank just calls, <laughs> Frank calls Morty Seinfeld, Jerry's dad, cold calls him uh -huh. and Morty says hello and immediately Frank is sitting in a dark room by himself <laughs> and he just says... This is Frank Costanza. <laughs> so sinister. And he says, we're moving into Del Boca Vista, lock, stock and barrel. We're going to be in the courthouse. We're going to be at the pool. We're going to be all over that shuffleboard court and I dare you to keep us out. And then he slams the phone down and Morty Seinfeld just puts the phone down, turns to Jerry and says, that's it. We're not going to Del Boca Vista. <laughs> Is it when Estelle tries to cook that he pushes her aside and tells her, uh, your meatloaf is mushy, your salmon croquettes are oily, <laughs> and your eggplant parmesan is just a disgrace to this house? Right before that, she sets the eggs down and he says something like, what is this? You call these eggs? And she says, that's the way I've always made it. And he just very emotively, he throws the forks down, throws his hands up and looks to the ceiling like you were saying and says, well, they suck. <laughs> 
Yeah, that guy can fucking deliver a line. <laughs> well, they suck. You saying you want a piece of me? Oh, there was one thing about Frank that I love that I forgot to mention. Hmm. Hell of an ass. Yeah. All right. Is Estelle in your top five? Estelle is number two. Estelle is my number two. Estelle Costanza is, again, a very special character. No one else could have done that. That lady has the absolute perfect voice, the perfect accent for for nagging at, for, for just nagging. Yes. The way she kind of whines uh, when she says, you're treating your body like an amusement park. <laughs> I leave the room for five minutes and I come back and you turn into J. Edgar Hoover. <laughs> There's also some times where when Estelle in the episode, the Fusilli Jerry, the Ass Man episode, she gets her eyes done. She gets something. She can't cry. She can't cry because her and Frank are splitting up and she's going to be back out there dating. And <laughs> there's something about her thinking that Kramer has made a move on her and the look that she gives when she feels kind of, she seems flattered and maybe even turned on. Yeah. That, <laughs> that lady is incredible. Yeah, she's great. And also, um, the bro scene when Kramer is fitting the bro onto Frank. Uh-huh. And she walks in and she just goes, oh my God. <laughs> <laughs> Love me some Estelle. No, my number three is going to surprise you, I think. For your number three, I'm going to guess George Steinbrenner. George Steinbrenner is not on here, although I, I did think very, very heavily about that. He's not even in your top seven? He's not. Wow. Is uh, Morty Seinfeld in your top? Morty's number three. Morty's my number four. Morty's right up there too, man. But he's underrated. I forgot that he was played by a different guy in the first. Yeah, in the first, first, I think the first episode. But the glasses they got him to wear, the way he, he can deliver a line with this sort of blank but innocent sweet stare in his eyes. Look, it says number one, dad. This shirt will never leave my body. <laughs> <laughs> and his mom, I love Jerry's mom too. I mean, she just can't compare to these other three, but she's great. She's like, Jerry, that shirt's gone to his head. It's too tight. But uh, Morty, he does this thing with his mouth and his face, like when he's nodding or confident about something. The quintessential Morty to me is there's an episode where Jerry's mom finds out that Uncle Leo, her brother, owes her money from when they were kids because their dad made money from betting on horses and he gave the money to Leo and said, give some to your sister. Yes. And Leo never did. And Morty finds out there's a scene with him doing calculations about <laughs> all the interest over 50 years and the scene ends with him saying, he's not going to get away with this and then he makes that <laughs> It's, it's like $200 and it's not even his money. <laughs> Another thing with Jerry and his parents is there's gold in old people jokes. Anytime Jerry goes down to Florida mm -hmm. and his parents talking about being late to dinner and Jerry's like, it's 345. I know this is a make for great podcast, but there's one more image I have to send you even if you have to cut this out. Morty, what do you have <laughs> open this box for? <laughs> I wanted a chip ahoy. <laughs> one chip ahoy. He's dead ski now. Yeah, he is dead ski now. Deceased. Barney Martin, deceased. He's number four on my list. So, your three is Putty. My three is David Putty. 
one of David Putty's first episodes. His first episode was the face painting. Oh, that is the first episode? Yeah, that's... Uh, actually, no. His first appearance is in Fusilli Jerry. Is it? As Jerry's mechanic and Elaine's current boyfriend. Oh, is that when he steals the move? Yes. Clockwise swirl? It is pretty early on. I guess it's probably in season six that he paints his face the devil's game and I that's... And Elaine can't take it because he's a face painter. His response was like why he needs to do that is just to shrug and say, gotta support the team. But he has that squinting stare. Like there's no other possible way you could support the team other than to take off your shirt and paint your face and your chest. But I also love how Elaine can't accept the fact that she's dating a face painter. She seems pretty intelligent and he's obviously dumb. Does she call it, someone calls him a grease monkey. That's the dealership episode. Yeah, he said he, he gets offended. He said, I don't know too many monkeys who can take apart a fuel injector. Yeah. And that's also the high five episode. High five. Yeah. And uh, the eight ball jacket. The Jesus fish. <laughs> I'm not the one going to hell. The priest says, it's simple. You're both going to hell. So, who's your number? Putty is my number seven. Or actually, he's eight. And that might seem low and it's not because I don't love Putty, it's because I love these other people more. Well, who are some of those other people? My number four is Kenny Banya. I thought it might be. He's only in like four or five episodes. Mm -hmm. But he fucking has my number. <laughs> or I guess you could say he has, a, he has a direct line to my funny bone as you so fucking weirdly put it earlier. <laughs> the the Mendy's soup shit. <laughs> the Think stupid look on his face when he's like, ooh. <laughs> he's just so excited. Just think about the logistics of this situation. Jerry makes it clear that he finds Banya super annoying to Banya's face. Banya wants to be friends with Jerry so bad that he doesn't care that Jerry clearly doesn't want to be with him and he has to bribe Jerry into going out to a meal with him. And I hate the way he keeps saying meal. Yeah, it's a meal. Jerry finally goes to a meal with him and Banya gets soup at Mendy's. Jerry's like, so you enjoying that soup, Banya? And he tells the waiter he's not hungry, he'll save the meal for another time. Banya's like, oh, I just had soup. Soup's not a meal. <laughs> but why? If, if the person doesn't want to be with you and he makes it clear, why do you want to be with that person? I don't get it. There's something about the giant jackass smile and the intense wild eyes. That's gold, Jerry. Gold. I just looked at pictures of him and almost all of them, he looks terrifyingly, insanely happy. Yeah. Well, he's happy because he's with Jerry. He's also <laughs> the one who Jerry gifts the Ovaltine joke to. That's right. Why don't they call it Roundtine? <laughs> he tells him it's gold. Did uh, Banya make your list? Banya did not make my list. What the fuck, Brandon? I know. Who am I missing? I got Putty, Frank, Estelle, Morty. So, you got the first four, number five, Uncle Leo. Oh, Uncle Leo. I love... <laughs> Jerry, hello. He didn't even say hello. The annoyance, the weird, angry, constant crotchetiness. Is he still alive? Oh, I'm sure that guy's dead. Well, the thing I think about most with Uncle Leo is when Jerry has that dream that Uncle Leo's in prison and he's doing pull-ups and it's a dark room and the camera's right on Leo's face with long hair and he says, Jerry, hello. Jerry? Hello, would somebody answer the damn phone? Because he has tinnitus. <laughs> Uncle Leo's great. He didn't make my list though. 
That's remember Jerry turns on Uncle Leo for stealing batteries. <laughs> was it batteries? No, no, no. It wasn't batteries. It was books at the bookstore. His when Jerry told his parents, his parents told him they steal batteries. Uh, but Uncle Leo was like, <laughs> he tells Jerry that he never forgets and never forgives. Because you were too busy stealing a book. That's the episode where George takes a book into the bathroom and then he can't sell it anywhere. <laughs> right. Who's your number five then? Five was Newman. So, I have Frank, Estelle, Morty, Banya, Newman and then six for me is Steinbrenner. Uh, I probably should have put him on there because he does have some of the best. One of, I don't know why the way he says this is so funny to me but it's when he thinks, when everyone thinks George is too stressed out at the Yankees, he's cracking up. Yeah. Steinbrenner calls him into his office and says, come in, come in, come in. George, word is you've been cracking under the pressure. Can't cope. Can't stand the heat. Spit the bit. <laughs> and he says like something about spit the bit. Well, and for the few out there that don't know, Steinbrenner is played by Larry David. Or at least the voices. I don't Voice by him, yeah. Yeah. But there's a part where George leaves, he, he locks his keys in the car in the Yankees parking lot. And so, everyone thinks he's getting there early and staying late. Thinks he's burning the midnight oil. Yeah. And so, George has so much confidence in that that he goes out of town or he goes out of town, yeah, goes out of town for the week. So, they think he's missing and he comes back and he tells Steinbrenner, he comes in on a crutch and tells Steinbrenner that he got in a wreck and lived on, in a ditch and he managed to survive on grubs and uh, puddle water. <laughs> right. And Steinbrenner had gone from being so worried and frantic like, George, you're alive. And when George says that, Steinbrenner just says off to the side, grubs, huh? Can't say I've ever had any of those. <laughs> <laughs> okay, you're never going to guess my number seven. Hmm. And he's really only my favorite for one episode. But he's in four or five. I'm thinking. He has a connection to Jerry. Keith Hernandez? No. I don't know. It's Jack Klompas. Jack Klompas. And I'll tell you why. This is the old man neighbor of Morty and Helen. Helen. Helen Seinfeld in Florida. It's the guy with the huge eyebrows and he's old. He's the one who gives Jerry the space pen. The episode I love most with him is when Jerry gifts his dad a Cadillac. That gives Jack Klompas enough justification to go to the board of the old person community they live in and Del say- Del Boca Vista. Yeah, Del Boca Vista. No, no, no. They go to Del Boca Vista after this because they get kicked oh. out um, of this one. Klompas goes to the board and says that Morty's obviously been stealing money from the fund from the, to, to <laughs> yeah. buy the Cadillac. He said there's no way Jerry bought it for him. We all saw his act last year. <laughs> and also, that's when- Jack Klompas, uh, he doesn't want to take a ride in the Cadillac and says, what, you think I've never driven in a Cadillac before? I've driven in a Cadillac hundreds of times, thousands. <laughs> yeah, he's a character. A lot of Hawaiian shirts. So, it goes Frank Costanza, Estelle Costanza, Morty Seinfeld, Kenny Banya, Newman, George Steinbrenner, Jack Klompas, David Putty for me. Who am I missing on yours? Number seven. Not really because of himself, but because of what he brings to the table situation-wise is Dr. Tim Watley. Oh, yeah. Watley. Played by Brian Cranston. Who also plays Walter White. Jerry Stiller and Watley, Brian Cranston, are both in King of Queens as well. I didn't know that. Yep. Brian Cranston plays Doug and Carrie's neighbor and then Jerry Stiller's in every episode. He's the father-in-law that lives with him. 
King of Queens is well worth checking out, people, if you like Seinfeld. It's a lot of the same humor. And Jerry Stiller is very similar to Frank Costanza in that show. In fact, it's like, it's basically the same character. Tim Watley is the one who had the penthouse magazines in his yes. office waiting room. And he's also the one who, when Jerry goes in, it's that same episode because he's trying to make the, <laughs> the dental office more adult. When Jerry's about to go under the gas, Watley takes a, he takes takes a, a hit. hit of it. And when Jerry comes out from the gas, he sees them both buttoning their clothes up, him and his hygienist. Then Jerry can't remember if his uh, shirt was tucked or untucked before he went under the gas. Right. He may have been sexually assaulted and that's not funny. Uh, so, good times. Yeah. Speaking of funny, take a quick break here. I want to tell you about a podcast. This is a friend of the show. He is a listener. He's left a review. He's always given us retweets. Leonardo DiCaprio? Leonardo DiCaprio's friend, Sean Ennis, he is the host of the Stories of Your and Yours podcast. It's a weekly short story podcast where Sean narrates classic short stories using sound effects and music to bring them new life. It's a great show. Here's their quick promo for more. Do you love a good story? If you do, check out Stories of Your and Yours. I'm Sean Ennis, and each week on Stories of Your and Yours, I narrate a classic short story, adding music and sound effects to bring those stories new life. The back catalog features stories by the likes of Edgar Allan Poe, Kurt Vonnegut, Rudyard Kipling, Mark Twain, Ray Bradbury, and many more. And in addition to classic short stories, I feature original stories by you, the listener. So if you do love a good story, give stories of your, that's Y-O-R-E, and yours, that's Y-O-U-R-S, a listen today. And visit the show at SYY Podcast on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram to submit your own stories, requests for classic short stories, or just to say hi. That's stories of your and yours, available wherever you get your podcasts. Does Sean not have the best radio slash podcasting voice of all time? It's up there. Why can't you sound like that, Brandon? Or at least sound not awful? <laughs> That's the stories of your and yours podcast. And the first your there is Y-O-R-E. Check it out. It's a great show. And thank you, Sean, for supporting our show. Okay. Brandy. Yes. We've spent a lot of time on side characters. Let's move it on over to top episodes. Okay. Okay. I'm ready. <laughs> I'm going to guess that Fusilli Jerry is in your top five. Fusilli Jerry is my number one episode. Tell us about it. Fusilli Jerry uh, was in the sixth season. It was episode 20. Most people would remember this as the Ass Man episode. Hey, the Ass Man's in town. <laughs> it's also one of my favorite quotes. It's one of my top quotes. So, if you don't remember the episode, uh, Kramer goes to pick up his new license plate and he accidentally gets someone's vanity plate. And the vanity plate says, Ass Man. He talks with Jerry and George about who may be the true owner of the, uh, of the license plate. And Kramer is the one who suggests that it may be a proctologist because they have, a, they have such a great sense of humor. He said, if you're at a party and you meet a proctologist, Park yourself. You're gonna. <laughs> you'll be. You'll be in for a treat. Uh, and then, but so he's riding around uh, town with a license plate that says "Ass Man," and he's giving a ride to Estelle Costanza, who thinks that everyone is just cat had eye calling. surgery. Yeah, yeah. She thinks everyone is cat calling her, praising Kramer as the Ass Man who pulled this. You know, pulled this ass. And the fact 
the fact that some guy sees that license plate and instead of just saying like, hey, the ass man or what's up, ass man, he says, hey, the ass man's in town. And Kramer goes, you got that right. You got that right. <laughs> There's great moments with um, Frank Costanza. Kramer is driving Estelle around. He has to stop the car short and fling his arm over to the passenger as we used to do in the 80s. Mm-hmm. Uh, and 90s to protect before we had airbags you just use your arm yeah i mean the arm is really underrated as a safety feature mm-hmm. of the human body i know whenever i'm in danger like a car accident or someone's robbing a bank that i'm standing in i'll just i'll just throw out my arm out there uh-huh. someone's robbing this bank don't worry lady that shooter won't get you here's my arm <laughs> works every time yeah anyway you were saying about Kramer and Estelle? And he stopped short and made a grab, uh, which uh, Frank, <laughs> Frank upset Frank. Stop short and make a grab. That's my move. <laughs> he goes, who? I stopped short. That's how he landed Estelle in the first place. Yeah. The little, the hip action, the hip movement he does mm-hmm. when he shows how he stopped short is, is nothing short of disgusting. Have you ever stopped short, Brandon, as a move? I don't, I'm not exactly sure what a stop short move entails. It means that you do what happened in the car where uh, you use a hard brake as an excuse to reach over and grab the breast of your passenger and you can feign that you're just trying to protect them from hitting their head. No, I, I actually have not. <laughs> I have not used that. You have not done that? No. Have you? Of course. Your mom loves it. (sighs) Out of context, this is going to sound strange, but Frank Costanza falls on a small pasta statue of Jerry. (laughs) (laughs) And in a million to one shot, it goes up his ass (laughs) and he must go to the proctologist. Where Kramer uh, discovers, or the proctologist comes out and says something to the effect of this, such as, you know, such a weird week. This happens uh, and I've also got my vanity license plates mixed up at the DMV. And <laughs> Kramer goes, you're the ass man. The proctologist does one of those winks where the f- rest of the face doesn't move but one eyelid slowly closes. <laughs> like my favorite wink. <laughs> you missed the best part of the episode. Uh, before that, when Kramer is parking his huge ass car with the license plate. (laughs) He parks in a special parking lot and a security guard approaches him as he's getting out of the car and says, hey, that spot is for doctors only. It's like at a hospital or something. Yeah. Kramer says, oh, no, it's okay. Proctol just and he points at his license plate. Does he point at it with his pipe? He might, yeah. I think he might point at it with the pipe. And the security guard immediately does like that. Neil deGrasse Tyson <laughs> meme of we got a badass over oh, here. Yeah, he brings whoops. his hands up and says, oh, okay, we got no problem here. The license plate saying ass man was enough for that security guard to believe that Kramer was a <laughs> doctor. Well, he knew the ass man was in town. My favorite episode is The Nap from season eight. Narrowly missed my top five. A lot of mine involved George's schemes. Yes. George is my favorite character. I know he's yours as well. Uh, The nap is about uh, when George works at the Yankees, he is tired and needs to take a nap while at work. He finds the perfect place under his desk. And so, eventually, Jerry's having a contractor work on his apartment 
George runs into him, has him renovate the underside <laughs> of his desk <laughs> to include a shelf and a drawer. <laughs> and George takes naps for hours at a time under his desk. And one of these times, George Steinbrenner comes in, his boss looking for him, can't find him. So, he waits there in George's office for George to get back and George is under the desk. And George realizes this and knows he can't get out. So, he tells Jerry to call on a bomb threat. George's Steinbrenner's grandkids are there and he tells them to all get under the desk and George is there. But also, when George <laughs> when George is asleep, went under the desk waiting for Jerry or he's on the phone with Jerry to call on the bomb threat because uh, he also has a phone under his desk. One of the grandkids is on his hands and knees and crawls under there <laughs> and sees George and says, hi, my name is Brian. What's your name? <laughs> and George says, beat it, Brian. Beat it. <laughs> His face gets all red. <laughs> I can't do it justice, but hopefully everyone out there is picturing that in their minds right now. I just looked up the script for that episode and uh, <laughs> when Steinbrenner has been sitting there in his office waiting for George, he says, uh, what is it with this guy? I've been waiting three and a half hours. Should I go? No way, Jack. <laughs> <laughs> I love those little conversations with himself. What's your number two? My number two is The Slicer. Oh, yeah. From season nine, one of the very last episodes from season nine, episode seven. My favorite storyline from it is uh, George recognizes himself in a photo behind his boss Kruger's desk. Mm -hmm. The picture is of Kruger and his family at the beach. <laughs> And there's a picture of George behind him and George is younger so he has some hair but George is giving them like an, a horrible like evil look. Uh, George is worried he's going to he'll get fired when Kruger recognizes him from the picture because he calls it the boombox incident. It was he said, it's the summer of 89. George is at the beach and family sat down next to him. And George went swimming and when he came back, he, all his stuff was gone. And he started screaming at the kids. <laughs> he got so angry, he threw their boombox into the ocean. And then a few minutes later, he found his things in the water and he realized that the tide, not the kids, had taken them out. The father, his Kruger, his future boss, demanded George paid for the boombox and George uh, gave him a fake address. <laughs> So, George steals the photo and takes it to the photo processing place to ask him them to airbrush out the picture of George, younger right. George. And when he comes back, Kruger got airbrushed out of the picture instead of George because Kruger is bald. The clerk mistook him for George. He says something like, you've lost a lot of hair. George goes, that's what they tell me. <laughs> yeah. The guy's like, He'll, I'll fix it. So, when he picks the photo back up, he's drawn Kruger in again but he's a fucking cartoon. <laughs> and the guy said, I had to do that from memory. There's this whole thing about getting a photo of Kruger with his shirt off and faking a skin cancer screening. Yeah. It's got a little bit of everything but it's got some good Kruger action anyway. So, Kruger isn't worried about the mole on his picture or there's a mole on his back but he thinks there's a mole in the picture so the mole hasn't grown and so, George feels compelled to tell him the truth. Kruger then reveals to George that that day 
he and his kids took this pear-shaped loser's clothes and <laughs> threw it all in the ocean. <laughs> then George learns the truth and tells him that he is that pear-shaped loser. And then Kruger says, boy, you sure have lost a lot of hair. Pear-shaped loser. That guy's dead now too, I'm pretty sure. The guy who played Kruger is dead? Yeah. Daniel Von Bargen. Oh, shit, he shot himself. Oh, is that it? Yeah, that's it. That's right. On February 20th, 2012, Kruger, also known as Daniel Von Bargen, shot himself in the temple during an apparent suicide attempt. After placing a phone call to a 911 operator, emergency crews are dispatched to his Montgomery, Ohio apartment. He suffered from diabetes and at the time of his death had been living with one leg amputated. He was due to have a couple of toes amputated on his remaining foot and reportedly did not want to submit to another surgery. He died on March 1st, 2015 of undisclosed causes, having experienced complications for diabetes for years. He was 64 years old. Holy shit, that's fucking dark. Wait, so he was suffer- He was going through all this because of diabetes and he didn't want to suffer anymore so he killed himself? He tried to shoot himself. I guess he lived. Hmm. Lived for all, like another three years. God damn, that's sad. Well, okay, that brought things down quite a bit. Yeah, thank you. It wouldn't be an episode if we didn't somehow get to talk about death. My number two is The Serenity Now, season nine. I almost made mine too. It didn't even make your top five? Uh, It it didn't, but uh, it's, I mean, it was right up there. And uh, I'll go ahead and tell you, Serenity Now is one of my top five quotes. Serenity yep. Now is one I personally use in the manner it was meant to be used pretty often. You sit there and you tell yourself, Serenity Now, Serenity Now. No, I don't say it like that. I'll say it comedically fucking loud. It's usually when my kids are going bananas <laughs> and my house feels like a mental asylum broke out. That one and uh, George is getting upset. Yeah, which didn't that start with the jimmy episode the guy that called himself jimmy yeah jimmy talking in the third person turned yeah. into george likes his chicken spicy yeah even a few seasons later george is still calling george himself is her. getting upset <laughs> <laughs> so the serenity now it's a very famous episode it's where frank costanza wants his son and lloyd braun george's lifelong arch rival to sell computers in his garage. That's the one where Estelle yells, you're not giving away our ice pack. And uh, Frank, his doctor, instructs him to s- tell himself serenity now. He, get, he prescribed some, uh, some tapes. Yeah, that's right. Tapes and tell him to say- He's yelling, serenity now, serenity now. And George said, did the man say to yell? The man on the tape wasn't specific. <laughs> that was inspired by real, real life events in the life of writer Steve Corrin. His parents, he was driving and his parents were arguing and his father kept shouting serenity now at the top of his lungs as part of a rage controlling exercise and he questioned whether or not the phrase was meant to be yelled. Can you imagine hearing that serenity now in the middle? Serenity now! But also in this episode, Elaine goes to a bar mitzvah of Mr. Littman, her old boss's son, Adam. Yeah. Who tries to kiss Elaine. The word gets around, so Elaine gets 
uh, invited to a bunch of bar mitzvahs from Jewish boys who wants to kiss her. <laughs> because of her shik's appeal. That's right. And when she returns to the Lippmans to talk to Adam out of his attraction for her, Mr. Lippman himself tries to kiss her. <laughs> Which leads to both of them denouncing Judaism. <laughs> <laughs> and then Elaine goes to a rabbi for advice who then also hits on her. Got too much Sheik's appeal. So, that's the serenity now. I mean, there's the whole, the whole part with Lloyd Braun and selling computers. <laughs> the contest to sell computers. Lloyd Braun's phone wasn't plugged in the whole time. <laughs> and Frank switches up serenity now with Uhuchi Mama. Oh, that's right. I for, yeah, that's a key part I forgot to mention. Hoochie mama! Uh, He's like grabbing with all his might onto something while he, while he turns his head like a dog and yells hoochie mama at the top of his lungs. Like a feral beast. Was that your, and that was your number two, right? Yeah, so we need your three. And number three is the hot tub. Is that the... There's a lot going on in okay, this one. Okay, tell me about it. A lot of mine are ones with just a lot, lot going on. Season nine, right? No, season seven, episode five. This is the one where Elaine has the Trinidadian and Toboggan runner Jean, Jean Paul as her guest. Yes. And Jean Paul previously overslept and missed his race in the Olympics. So, it's a big deal for him to get up on time for the marathon. He's staying with Elaine and Jerry's word because Elaine keeps screwing stuff up like she's burning muffins and missing dates and stuff and Jerry's concerned about that. But on George's part, another great George scheme is that he always looks annoyed. He looks annoyed at work so people think he's busy. Yes. And his boss, Wilhelm, sends him out drinking to entertain these guys from the Houston Astros front office. You tell that son of a bitch. <laughs> Yeah, these guys say bastard and son of a bitch all the time and get George doing it. And so, at the same time, God, it's it's so hard to explain a Seinfeld episode. So, at the same time, Kramer has a hot tub in his apartment. The power goes out and his core temperature drops and he's been cold. He's constantly cold. So, like everyone at this point in the episode meets back up at the diner and Jean-Paul is there too. George is swearing wears off on Jean-Paul. When he touches Kramer, whose core has been chilled now, he says, that son of a bitch is ice cold. <laughs> but he also calls a baby a little bastard in front of them. <laughs> Look at the little bastard. Anyway, Jean-Paul, uh, Kramer gets a new hot tub, the heater shorts out, the building, Jean-Paul had stayed with Jerry, but he ends up oversleeping for the marathon because of the power going out. At the race, he grabs Kramer's hot tea thinking it's water and burns himself. There's a lot going on in that episode. But I like how everything always ties together in the end mm -hmm. with all the characters. Well, also, Kramer, first of all, has a hot tub in his New York City apartment. He fills it up using a bucket. From Jerry's apartment. <laughs> right. No, they said something about he doesn't have running water and Jerry's like, I don't ask these questions. Anymore. Yeah. <laughs> but I love how Kramer just, yeah, Jerry's apartment is Kramer's apartment and Kramer or uh, Jerry's a huge germaphobe and like personal space kind of guy but he's just like, given up on trying to do anything about it with Kramer. So, he lets Kramer come and go as he pleases. <laughs> Up until he gets three pints of Kramer in him. Hey, buddy. 
Hey, buddy. <laughs> My third favorite is The Rye from season seven. It is a very good one. There's a lot of good <laughs> Costanza moments in this one too. That's where the chicken and the rooster and the hen come from. The episode is named because George's parents are meeting with George's fiance Susan and her parents for the first time at Susan's parents' house. And Susan's parents are very well-to-do while George's parents are crazy. And George's father, Frank, makes a point to pick up a rye bread from Schnitzes out of their way on the way to dinner. But the Rosses don't put out the rye and so Frank steals it back to take it home with them. And there's a scene when Frank, Estelle and George, who's sitting in the back like a little kid, are riding home from dinner. Estelle is saying something like, who doesn't have cake after a meal? We're sitting there like idiots with no cake after a meal. And then Frank says, I'll tell you what it is. It's stupid. Not a polite, it's stupid. That's what it is. You got to be stupid to do something like that. And then uh, that's when Frank reveals that he stole the bread back. Anyway, George schemes to sneak the bread back into the Ross's home before they notice that it's gone so that they don't know his parents took it. And so, Jerry steals the rye bread from an old lady who took the last one at the store um, and he says, give it here, you old hag. And then he runs <laughs> off with it like a, like a running back with a football <laughs> down the street. There's a, he has a great look, kind of panicked look on his face as he runs to- But also exhilarated. Some of the, the parts of Seinfeld that stick with me after all these years are some of the parts where you can tell that they know it's funny. It's a visual gag and you can tell that they know what they're doing is funny. And I think that shot of Jerry running away is, is one of them. Well, Jerry was always not great at keeping a straight face. And it's funny because Michael Richards who plays Kramer obviously seems like a great easygoing fun guy but he was actually super serious behind the scenes with his acting. <laughs> As we all found out eventually, he's pretty, pretty tightly wound. <laughs> Let's not go there. <laughs> But there is actually a Comedians in Cars Getting Coffee with Michael Richards and Jerry where he actually talks about that yeah. in length, uh, which is very interesting. I recommend it, which is on Netflix, Comedians in Cars Getting Coffee. But Kramer or the actor that plays Kramer, Michael Richards, would get very frustrated with his co-stars when they would laugh and crack up at scenes because even when Kramer's doing something ridiculous, Michael Kramer is dead serious in delivering it. And uh, it's, it's interesting to see some of those bloopers behind the scenes when everyone else is laughing at something Kramer does, but Michael Richards is not laughing. He's just sitting there like waiting for everyone to stop so they can get back to filming. It's uh, different than you'd expect. I'd rather be silly. If you're silly, you're very silly. <laughs> because you're silly. And he, and he makes George out of ravioli. <laughs> <laughs> Well, also in this Rye episode, I'm going to read this line from Wikipedia. This is a quote. Elaine dates a jazz saxophonist named John Germain. Tells Jerry that John doesn't give her oral sex. <laughs> Whoa. <laughs> End quote. Because that's definitely not how the conversation went with Jerry. He doesn't give me oral sex. He doesn't do everything. Oh, is that all she says? Is that what she says? Yeah, and Jerry goes, oh. Someone just hit your head over it with the, in the wiki article. I love Wikipedia because everything's so scientific. I forgot that's the same episode where Kramer feeds that horse Beefarino. Beefarino feeds that horse Rusty Beefarino and it's just farting wild. 
disgusting everyone, disgusting Susan's parents. It's like you when you eat ravioli. Uh, or hot dogs. Or f- f- do you eat ravioli over airport trash, airport trash cans uh, as well? I'm, do you have an airport ask, trash can in place of your kitchen table in your kitchen? When they asked me if I wanted it Chicago style, I said Chef Boyardee style. <laughs> Instead of shopping for dining room tables when you move, you shopped for really fancy trash cans. I want that hot dog covered in ravioli with a fucking glass of lemonade, baby. Do you see that he's not denying it, by the way, everyone? Hashtag hot dog Brandon because when he's going and not thinking about it, he'll just talk freely and openly about his disgusting act of shoveling a hot dog into his mouth in a crowd of people over an airport trash can. That's the Atlanta airport circa 2015. Anyway. That is your version of OJ's book, If I Did It. Remember uh, how that book is, I did it in huge letters and then if is like. <laughs> if, if <laughs> I did it. <laughs> it should, that should be the title and then you open it on the first page is him just smiling and shrugging like, hey, <laughs> what am I going to do? Well, speaking of what are you going to do, what you, the listener, should do is if you're dumb enough to listen to our asses for this long. Hopefully, you're also dumb enough to take some time to leave us a five-star written review on iTunes. Would you say the odds are good of that, Brandon? What? That the listener's dumb enough to do that for us. Probably pretty good, yeah. If you write a review for us on iTunes, also known as Apple Podcasts, we're going to read it on the show. Here's one from Always Amanda. Uh, I don't want to read this one. It's going to inflate your ego more than your inflatable family's inflated. Let me hear it. She says, quote, why is this so good? Question mark. My favorite thing is when Brandon says, whoa, every episode. I'm walking around cracking up. Oh, Pe- look out. People are looking at me funny and I don't care. End quote. Oh, the more time I spend in your ears, the more people will look at you weird. <sighs> the more time Brandon spends in your ears. What about the more time you spend in your rears? <laughs> this one comes from Ben Ruji. You got that? Is that all one word? Benru is one word. B-E-N-R-U space G. Okay. He says, quote, great show and good content. I loved it. Good flow and content. LOL. (laughs) (laughs) Like after he gave us that compliment, he was like, ha, fucking ha. I don't know if he's laughing at us because we're so funny or he's laughing at us for thinking this is a sincere review. Maybe he meant lots of love. Lots of love. Lots of love to you, Ben Ruji, and to everyone who writes and reviews us. Thank you very much. Now, let's get back to our list. What's your fourth favorite Seinfeld episode? The fourth favorite is from season nine. It is The Voice. Season nine, episode two. That's my number four as well. Yeah, the belly button voice. Hello. 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 I read earlier today, I did not know this before, that, that originally came about a writer came up with a voice for his girlfriend's butt while she was asleep (laughs) and that they... Why didn't they go with butt? They said they changed it from butt so that it would be less crude humor but Jerry has said in years since that he wished they would have left it as the butt. I have a lot of respect for anybody who can say, yeah, that that decision I made at one time I, I no longer agree with. I changed my mind but I love... Even more when someone changes their mind and says like, yeah, it should have been a butt. (laughs) 
was wait was this your son Charlie or was this Jerry? <laughs> they both. If if Charlie would have been in charge, we all would have been doing the the butt voice. <laughs> I think I've mentioned those new Mickey Mouse cartoons before. There's a new one just came out where they travel through time, and in the time of dinosaurs and cavemen, they're all they all vaguely look like Goofy. One of the dinosaurs roars and scares Mickey and Donald, and Donald gets so scared that his ass falls off. And we had to rewind it a few times because we were all just uh, rolling in the floor. This Donald Duck's ass fell off and he had to pick it up and put it back on. Well, how different would the world be if everyone's ass was detachable, like it was an accessory? A detachable butt? Yeah. I mean, you could just go to the butt store, swap out your butt for a better butt. I'd get one with more padding. You don't have enough padding on your butt? That I don't believe. I don't. What, it's bony. Uh, what, how does How do you suffer from this? Well, I get ass pain from where the bone, it's a butt cheek. Mm, a butt cheek pain. From sitting on your... Is this different from the butt cheek pain you experience from spanking yourself when you get, ex- <laughs> when you get excited? Just standing up in public and <laughs> flogging myself? You know... How some of those religious nuts will like whip themselves like Jesus. Yeah. You do that. Yeah, flagellating. <laughs> Spanking your ass. Uh, it's just like me. Why am I doing that again? <laughs> I don't know, but when I knew we were doing the Seinfeld episode today, I started spanking myself too, so it's okay. So, back to the voice. <laughs> so, uh, another one of George's... Schemes? Yeah, it's like my brain just fucking stopped working. It doesn't work after 10.35. Yeah, we're we're recording late, later than usual today and Brandon's fatigued beyond. Uh, <laughs> fatigued. One of George's best schemes, it's when he goes to work for Play Now. Yeah, it's he's working at Play Now, but they have discovered that he is not actually handicapped. <laughs> And they are trying to kick him out and he has a contract with them and he's trying to serve out his contract so they have to pay him anyway. So, he's tr- they're trying to lock him out of his office. He's trying to, he goes through, uh, he crawls through an air duct to get into his office. Yeah, Kramer gets uh, an assistant. An intern. An, an intern to, to help him with Kramerica Industries. It ends up leading to the giant ball of oil and one of the best, one of my favorite quotes by Kramer, when he looks at his, they were holding a ball of oil in the window of George's office at Play Now and he said, you know, Darren, if you had told me 25 years ago that someday I'd be standing here about to solve the world's energy problems, I would have said you're crazy. Now let's push this giant ball of oil out the window. (laughs) Uh, the ball is a bladder to go inside of oil tankers so they won't spill and leak oil. And it doesn't work because it breaks over the head of the girl with the stomach who talks. Hello. Which, by the way, according here's the quote from Wikipedia on that. Jerry and George imagine a scenario in which the stomach of Claire, <laughs> Jerry's girlfriend, may could have been her butt. Make sounds during the night, chiefly by saying, quote, hello, la, 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 in a loud, <laughs> booming voice. <laughs> okay. So, my number five is the Frogger. 
Another one from season, season nine. nine. Yes, sir. The Frogger is when Jerry and George go to their old pizza joint from high school and the Frogger machine where George's high score is remains the number one. And of course, George has very little in life to cling to. So, he wants to buy that Frogger machine because the pizza place is going to go out of business. So, he enlists the help of Kramer's random friend, Slippery Pete. Slippery Pete. You can trust Slippery Pete. Um, and they try to sneak the Frogger machine across the street. Doesn't work out. That's also where Elaine eats the $29,000 ancient cake from King Edward VIII's wedding. So, yeah, that's the Frogger. But I just love that scene of George trying to cross the street like Frogger. I forgot that Slippery Pete didn't know what the electrical outlet was. He called it the holes. <laughs> oh, you mean the holes. <laughs> uh, well, my... Uh, number five on my episodes list is The Butter Shave. Mm. It's the first episode of season nine. There's some good storylines in it. It's um, Elaine and Putty breaking up and making up on the airplane uh, with that guy, Vegetable Lasagna. Kramer is using butter to shave with, hence the... So, it's so smooth. Then he goes tanning or he gets some sun and um, Newman tries to eat him. The main part of it I like is George getting hired at the company play now and George is still using a cane. At the end of season eight. Oh, the summer of George, right? Some time off work and some money in the bank. He's going to seize the moment and I declare this the summer of George. And it ends up be like that episode he <laughs> nearly dies from being so lazy. <laughs> so, he's still using a cane when he goes to apply at play now. They think he's handicapped and uh, that's part of the reason why they hire him. So, then he has to fake it and the montage of him pretending to be handicapped My at work baby or takes the morning train. Pretending to have a disability and just yucking it up with the other people in the office. He even uses his cane to trip a guy and they all have a good laugh at the guy who tripped and the guy who tripped looks up and just laughs like, oh, you rascal. What's better, that montage or the montage of Kramer working that office? Same song. Well, the Kramer one came first, but I think this, the George one is better because there's more gleefully malicious uh, intent with George. But I like the J Kramer one better because of the last line that launches the montage, which is Kramer's in Jerry's apartment <laughs> getting ready for work in the morning and he looks at the time and says, I got to run and he's got a mouthful of some food. And Jerry says, what's in the briefcase? And Kramer goes, crackers. After they had a very serious discussion about how important it is that, that Kramer go to work and be able to do his job and how important it was. You, you got through your five. I have some honorable mentions, which I'll just go over briefly. Uh, the comeback, which is the jerk store episode. Right. The bizarro Jerry, which is the one where Kramer gets a job, but also where Elaine dates the bizarro Jerry. And there's a, they have a group. Uh, friends and there's Feldman. Uh, Feldman, Gene is the George. <laughs> and they're all nice and they're not mean to each other. They like hug each other and take care of each other. And do you remember when, it's not this episode but it's a different one where George has to eat at Reggie's because he doesn't want to eat at Monk's, the normal restaurant because someone's there and George thinks they're all laughing at him. <laughs> <laughs> so, he goes and eats by himself at Reggie's. And later he's ranting and he goes, I had to eat at Reggie's, Jerry. Reggie's. Oh, it's the Independent George episode. He thinks <laughs> You're Susan. Killing Independent George. Yeah. 
Uh, okay, the big salad. And I love that episode because it's quintessential George. If I had to show anyone what is like the perfect snapshot of who George is as a character, it's the big salad. Because the whole episode is about how George felt he didn't get the credit Petty. for the salad that he paid for, which was probably like 7 or $8, because his girlfriend handed the salad to Elaine and Elaine told her thank you and not George. <laughs> but I got to say, she did take credit for the salad, the girlfriend. She said, you're welcome. Yeah. And George said, you had to have the big salad. And he what I would hips. like to know is how does a person who has nothing to do with the big salad claim responsibility for that salad? And accept the thank you under false pretenses. Uh, also, the seven, where George wants to name his kid seven and he wants to stop oh. some other people from taking that name. And the maid, which is the T-bone episode. T-bone. George is eating a T-bone steak in a work meeting, specifically to be noticed that he's eating a T-bone steak so that he can have the nickname T-bone because he thinks it sounds cool. No one says a word. And then three people later in the meeting, because they're like going around a circle introducing themselves, three people later, someone else is eating a T-bone, the second person with the T-bone, and they, they say that person should be called T-bone. <laughs> I love later in the episode when, uh, I can't remember what George is upset about, but he's ranting and raving and <laughs> they're looking at him from behind like a window so you can't hear him but you can see his arms flailing above his head Yeah, and he does look just like an angry gorilla and that's where they decide to instead nickname him Coco the monkey. And he has a jersey made. It says ooh. <laughs> As in ooh. <laughs> okay. Are you ready to move on from episodes? Yes, quotes and references. Yeah. I have an honorable mention right off the bat that I had forgotten about until I read it this morning. Okay. I think it's when they go to the Hamptons. George explains to Jerry that he dresses by mood. <laughs> yeah. And Jerry says, and what mood is this? And George says, this is morning mist. <laughs> So, I actually have uh, nine on here, but we've actually... Just go through them. So, let's start with number nine. Kramer is talking about some <laughs> someone going on vacation with Elaine. He says, a month in Europe with Elaine? That guy's coming home in a body bag. <laughs> <laughs> Which is so un-Kramer because Kramer's like the ultimate loyal friend. I mean, he'll, he'll betray you too, <laughs> but... Because there's there's a million scenes like this where Kramer's like standing there and Jerry's, or Kramer just walks in, you know, with his famous barge in and Jerry just says, hey, I'm about to go up to Yankee Stadium and- uh, He's like, oh, I'm in. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And Kramer's in. But then on the other hand, Kramer will shit on you behind your back to his <laughs> other friends. You know how Jerry is. He's very- A fancy boy. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> if Van, you know he's a Holly, Hollywood type, so Van, look at me, look at me. Uh, number eight. Is George's answering machine. Uh, oh, yeah, of course. How did I forget that? Believe it or not, George isn't at home. That was my answering machine for a long time. Uh, number seven uh, is uh, the message that Frank Costanza leaves on Jerry's answering machine. Jerry hits the button and it says, Jerry, it's Frank Costanza. Steinbrenner's here. George is dead. Call me back. <laughs> they it's Oh, it's when they think George is dead because, because of, of his car. car being left. Yeah, George yeah. is dead. Call me back. 
That same episode where George Steinbrenner visits the Costanzas to let them know the news that George is dead. He had just told them and Estelle is crying. Frank is looking very emotional and you think it's because, you think it's because of George dying, but he just says, how could you trade so-and-so for so-and-so? You don't know what the hell you're doing. (laughs) What else you got? Let's see. Number five was, I hereby declare this the summer of George. Uh, see, we covered the rest of these, I think. Four, Zahelia Ass Man's in town. Number three, Sweet Fancy Moses. It's one I usually say under my breath if I see something really fucked up. Who said that first? Jerry? Jerry. That's what he says when he sees uh, Elaine dancing. Sweet Fancy Moses. Uh, two is Serenity Now. I do say that one. I don't, uh, I don't scream it and I don't say it in a soothing voice. It's usually something like... A stress-filled expletive. Uh, And then number one, I do use this under my breath a lot. George is getting upset. (laughs) I've heard you do that. George is getting upset and serenity now are different versions of the same feeling. Wouldn't it be more apt for you if you said, Brandon's getting sweaty? (laughs) Yeah, it is what I do is I get get all sweaty. No, I'm going to stick with George though. Was that what, that's your number one? Yeah. So, here's mine in reverse order. Number eight is when Jerry's dating the girl that's in Sex in the City later, the actress. Kristen something. Yeah. That's the episode where the, to- the toothbrush goes in the toilet. Mm-hmm. She uses the toothbrush and he can't tell her. Uh, but he's also afraid to kiss her from, <laughs> from then on. Uh, but the toilet explodes and she's covered in sewage and Jerry walks in, sees her like that and they had just made up and he goes... Have a nice life. <laughs> and he leaves. Kristen Davis, that's her name. Yeah. Yeah, her name was Jenna and then she later dates Kenny Banya. That's right. My next one is Soup's Not a Meal with Banya. This, this next one we haven't covered yet. It's Jerry talking to George. So, you said to yourself, what the hell, I'll eat some trash. That's when George eats the half-eaten, uh, what is it, like a ring ding or a... And that line is definitely a Jerry Seinfeld written line. Now that I've seen more comedians in cars and I have a little bit better understanding of who Jerry is, my assumption is that is a line that Jerry wrote. But I love how that scene of George taking a bite out of that with his back turned to the kitchen doorway and the mother comes in and sees him and George turns around just in time to see her and he puts the thing down and he and frantically runs after her to tell her. Nobody does frantic quite like George Costanza. Yeah. So, I imagine, I mean, everybody, if you want to know what Brandon looked like in that airport, just watch that scene. Okay, so my next one is, well, we already said it, it's the chicken, the hen, and the rooster. Uh, Number four is, she had man hands from Jerry. Mm -hmm. Number three is, you're killing independent George. Number two is, hoochie mama. And number one is, serenity now. Malva? I probably should have had Festivus for the rest of us on there too. Okay, and our last section here is our top five life lessons that Seinfeld taught us. And, you know, I watched Seinfeld starting at age nine. So, I learned a lot from Seinfeld. You did. You were uh, raised by it rather than your parents. Thank God. Uh, I'm going to disappoint you here because I thought very, very hard about this and I could only think of one life lesson that I truly took from Seinfeld. Wow. I have seven. 
well, I apologize. Hang on, everyone, take a drink if you're surprised that Brandon let us all down again. <laughs> it is, it's not a lie if you believe it. Yeah, that's on mine. It's, uh, that's the key to telling a good lie is just believe that shit. But it's also true. Yeah, you make it reality. Well, I mean, even if you don't think you're lying, even if you truly believe something and you say something that's incorrect, it's not a lie. It's not a lie if you believe it. Yeah. Fucking genius. You said this earlier. I can't believe it's not on your list. When you look annoyed all the time, people think you're busy. <laughs> that's right. That is a life lesson from George. I love the little example he gives of what it means to look annoyed and busy in that episode. It's like three seconds of him just kind of going like, yeah. And by the way, we never mentioned Peterman. I'm sure some people are yelling at us that Peterman has not had to mention this whole episode. He's funny, but he doesn't, um, he just can't carry a belly laugh like Frank Costanza. <laughs> a belly laugh. Okay. Well, I can tell that you are running on fumes here. So, I'm going to get through my life lessons. I have, it's not a lie if you believe it with George. When you look annoyed all the time, people think you're busy. Here's one. Not that there's anything wrong with that. <laughs> that is the line from the episode uh, about people thinking Jerry and George are a gay couple and Jerry and George constantly remind themselves that there's not anything wrong with that. And that's a life lesson that I took to heart. I think there's probably a lot of people like I mentioned earlier who don't realize that that exact phrase was popularized. That's where it came from. Yeah. Just remember when you control the mail, you control information from Newman. Information. When Elaine has Newman take care of the barking dog, that's mm -hmm. by her apartment and the police <laughs> show up at Newman's door and Newman answers and says, what took you so long? <laughs> Just like uh, Like a serial killer. It's yeah. son of Sam, a uh, postal worker. People, they're the worst from Jerry. That has been a very true thing in my life. If you need proof of that, just listen to my fucking sidekick host try to get through any one of these episodes. He's the worst. Huh? Looking at cleavage is like looking at the sun. You don't stare at it. It's too risky. You get a sense of it and then you look away. That's a solid tip. Keep you out of a lot of trouble. My last one here is manure. Remember George is like <laughs> his first pickup line is- It's not so bad. Think about it. Ma. Nua. You got ma and nua. And he uses that line on Melissa Tomei who thinks it's hilarious. <laughs> Where Jerry's like, so you went, you went with the manure. <laughs> like, <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. Okay, we did it. We got through this thing. Shrinkage. Double dipping. Double dipping. That's a huge one we missed. Giddy up. Yeah. Yeah, we did it. Brandon's like on the verge of death over there because Brandon does not stay up. He's like Jerry's parents. He has dinner at 3 o'clock and he's in bed by 6 and he watches Fox News right before. Breakfast the night before. Breakfast at Tiffany's. I just looked over my shoulder and the Grim Reaper is standing behind me. Okay, so we're going to go so Brandon has enough energy to do another episode a week from now. If you enjoyed this very Seinfeld episode and you'd like us to do a deep dive on another singular topic like this, just let us know. You can write that in a review. You can tweet us or whatever on social media. You can follow us at Tennis Pod on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, and YouTube. We'll be back next week with our traditional top tennis list. <laughs> traditional. Nothing traditional about us boys. Brandon, you have anything else you want to say to our loyal listeners? 
The ass man's in town. All right. Thank you, Brandon. I will let you go to sleep. Goodbye, everybody. Bye. Yo, within moments, we'll be transitioning to the next episode in this best of two-pack covering The Office. But first, we got some bills to pay, bitch. Enjoy this brief ad break. Or if you're a Tennis Pod Plus member, you'll skip right past these ads and get right to the good stuff. That's what she said. Hello and welcome to the Tennis Podcast. My name is Nick Amell. I'm Brandon. This is the show where usually one of us brings a top 10-ish list on anything and everything in the entire world and the other tries to guess it. This week will be a little different. I'll explain why in a moment. We're going to wrestle instead. We're going to, we're just going to leave our mics on just and gonna hear virtually wrestle because we're social distancing. It'd be fun to have a virtual wrestling match on Skype. Actually, it would not be fun. But today, we're going to do an episode dedicated to The Office. Before I get into all that, I also want to tell you that today's show, you might experience a little more background noise than usual on both our ends because given that goddamned coronavirus, our families are home with us and we're, while we're recording. So, just want to apologize in advance. Yeah, if it sounds like a bunch of coyotes getting into a, a trash bag in the background, that's just my kids. Yeah, and I'll be sure to mute myself when I'm yelling curse words at the sky out of frustration. Oh, thought you were going to yell it at the kids. No, I, of course, I would never yell at my kids, Brandon. But I would yell at our fucking listeners and I'm going to yell at them right now and tell them that today's show is about the office. What is the office, Brandon? Do you know what A, the office is? Well, nobody's going to any offices right now. But the office, the show, it was originally a comedy show in the UK written oh, and... Damn, you're boring the shit out of no, everybody. No, it's not. This, this is a fucking better. answer. Written by and starred uh, Ricky Gervais and it was really funny in it. But it's, um, the British version is kind of a little bit more mean-spirited, I think. And then they made an American version starring Steve Carell as Michael Scott. Michael Scott started out a little bit mean, but they, I think they quickly... He definitely did. ...figured out that, like, American audiences want a lovable goofball. He still has his asshole moments later. He definitely had his asshole moments later, but he always means well and kind of just became this, like, well, sweet, cute kind of... Childish. Dumb, dumb, yeah. He doesn't always mean well. I mean, I think uh, <laughs> Toby Flenderson out there listening would disagree. But largely, you're correct. Right. And they, they kind of go into that in the Office Ladies podcast um, when they're talking about the show. Are you doing a plug for the Office Ladies? No. No. We did do an episode like this on Seinfeld, which is my favorite show, uh, at least my favorite sitcom ever. Would you say it's yours as well, Brandon? Yes. Okay. And the Office would be my number two. And we've had a few requests to do a Seinfeld-like episode for The Office. That's what we're going to do. In addition to what Brandon said, Wikipedia, our friends at Wikipedia report that The Office is an American mockumentary sitcom television series that depicts the everyday lives of office employees in the Scranton, Pennsylvania branch of the fictional Dunder Mifflin Paper Company. It aired on NBC from 2005 to... It's way more boring than what I said. ...to 2013... And in fact, this week, as we're recording this, is the 15-year anniversary of the first episode of The Office. Goddamn. It's uh, one of the top trending shows on Netflix right now. I think that's always the case. I believe I've read at some point that The Office is the most rewatched show on Netflix. It's pretty easy to rewatch. 
Yeah. It's a good palate cleanser to the day. Yeah. I just throw on an episode of The Office and most of them are just a quick 22 minutes. You don't need any context from other episodes usually. It's a good one-off little watch. The Office was met with mixed reviews during its first shot season, but the following seasons, especially those featuring the star Steve Carell, received considerable acclaim from TV critics. The first season has some of the funniest stuff though. It does, but I think it was drier at that time, Mm -hmm. which depending on your sense of humor, that may be better or worse. But I think for the mainstream appeal, the drier comedy is less appealing than it kind you know, there's a little bit of Seinfeld in there because Seinfeld was this way too, where first few seasons are kind of straightforward and uh, but as they go, the characters and the situations get more and more ridiculous and outlandish mm-hmm. and petty. And The Office is similar to where it starts really dry, very reasonable office environment. Whereas the more it goes, the more like unrealistic and outlandish it gets. Yeah, later on, Dwight is pulling like nunchucks out of the file cabinet. Right. Like shit that he could never get away with. Where as in season one, most of the shit they did, you could, you know, reasonably think that someone could get away with that shit. So, and I think there's pros and cons to both approaches, which is why I like watching the first season and the ninth season. And like Seinfeld, The Office also ran for nine seasons. So, we're talking about Seinfeld in the office. I put up a poll on our Twitter, at TennisPod. You can follow us at 10ISHPOD. And I asked our followers, only vote on this if you like both shows. So, I tried to weed out people that dislike one show or have never seen either show. Yeah. So, I tried to qualify and I, I said- to get rid of the li- trolls. Yeah. And if you like both shows, which is the superior show? The Office or Seinfeld? Have you seen this poll? Uh, that's what she said. Uh, no, I didn't see the poll. Maybe I did. I don't know. I see a lot of shit on the internet. What do you want me to do? Remember everything? (laughs) Okay. Well, uh, The Office won the vote. Barely. 53% for The Office, 47% for Seinfeld. Almost 50-50. I'm going to tell you my opinion. I love both shows. They are my one and two favorite shows out there. And I think I give, I do give the edge to Seinfeld. I think it's more culturally relevant. I think it's more significant. I think it's more consistently funny. I think the characters have more depth to them. In The Office, I think I've laughed out loud more at The Office though. Individual moments or scenes make me laugh harder and more than Seinfeld. But as a whole, I, ch- I choose Seinfeld. And I know everyone out there was wanting to know my extremely particular rationale for voting. I was just thinking, God damn. You took me through every fucking step of it. <laughs> I like Seinfeld because it aired at like my, I think my very like, imp- you know, you watch comedy stuff at a certain age and it sticks a little no. bit. I respectfully disagree. Okay. Well, in With my the very opinion, premise of your point, I disagree. Yeah, in my experience, uh, certain things, certain <laughs> uh, comedy things that you watch at a certain age kind of stick more like, I think I watched Seinfeld when it aired in the 90s and uh, also found George Carlin albums all around at the same time. And I think whatever comedy you are into between the ages of like probably like 12 and 20 is pretty much what locks you in for the rest of your life as far as comedy tastes go. Yeah, I agree with that. Uh, So, my stuff tends to be like dry or cynical, but... I would never guess that based on this show. But some of the office stuff in preparing for this, I relived a few of my office 
moments or my favorite characters or episodes. Uh, and I recently started rewatching The Office with my wife in the evenings. And I enjoy a lot more of the goofy stuff than I remembered. And there is plenty of wonderfully silly things in The Office, some of which I have recorded or prepared to discuss later. Well, I'm glad you did that, given that we're recording the show right now. Right. That's preparation. Not H. Preparation B. Yeah, that's funny. Mm-hmm. Oh, wow. Preparation okay, so H what goes on your butthole. <laughs> God damn it. Well, I was going to ask you, you know, you mentioned watching Seinfeld in the 90s and, mm-hmm. you know, 20-something years ago now. Are there any other friends and colleagues that you have at your senior living uh, retirement community that also... <laughs> See, <laughs> what would have been better is if you had an actual question to tack on to the end of your little <laughs> shitty joke. I did, but I'm not going to ta- I'm not gonna ask it now. All you right. don't deserve it. Well, save it. Okay. The way this is going to work is we have a couple of categories here. We're talking about our favorites today as opposed to usually we talk about facts on our list. But today we're going to talk about favorites, so I'm going to guess Brandon's favorites, he's going to guess mine, and we're just going to kind of discuss as we go. I'm also going to interlace comments from our listeners that have submitted their favorites, and let's start with favorite main characters. Brandon, I'm going to guess you and I have the same, number one, so let's stay away from number one for a minute. Tell me what you would guess based on your understanding of Nick Amell as a person, as a man, as a star podcast host. Based on your knowing of me, what would you guess are my favorite office characters? My understanding carnal knowledge. <laughs> and we're not doing this in order, right? Because we don't have like all sure. fucking day here. I'm going to guess that, um, that Kevin is on that list. Yeah. What makes you say that? He's he also is. on mine. Well, I've heard you refer to him as funny before, but I know that some of the stuff he says in particular tickles you. He has my all-time favorite office moment that I'll get to later, but... Mm-hmm. I guess these don't have specifically have to be in an order, but Kevin is number three on mine. He's mine too, my number three. Something that I like about him is that he looks and acts and sounds very cartoonish without being overtly... Like, he's not wacky or cartoony in that way, but he does to me because of his shape and the, just the way he looks, his haircut, his, his bald head <laughs> the, on the sides, the way he holds himself and kind of looks sheepish or shy, the way he speaks, the way like everything is very cartoonish to me and I think that's really funny that he's able to do that and not seem like he's being a cartoon around all these real people. Do you remember that episode where he is, <laughs> the whole office is trying to keep a record for how long they can be quiet and they're like at seven or eight minutes or something and Jim's keeping the time and then all of a sudden it ends because Kevin goes, oh yeah, when he's biting into it <laughs> like a chocolate muffin or something and then they re- they restart and he, he's like, sorry, sorry and then they restart and then like 30 seconds later you hear it again, oh yeah. <laughs> Must have been a hell of a muffin. I think it was a muffin. Whatever. Kevin is great. He gets me. You said he was your number three. I think mm-hmm. we have the same top three then because I'm going to guess your number two is Dwight Schrute. My number two is Dwight Schrute. Dwight has... Same here. From the very first episode, Dwight was like, like well, the first few times you hear him speak and see his haircut and his glasses and the mm-hmm. way he presents himself, you're like, I didn't know this dude exactly 100%, but in my life, I have known several guys who are many pieces of this guy. He's yeah. Everyone knows someone with a little bit of Dwight in them yeah. or different parts of Dwight. But he has the volume turned up on all that. And yes, all the volume is very, he's very cartoonish too. 
One of my favorite Dwight things is that there's a picture of him holding up a sign with his name on it and what each letter of his name mm-hmm. represents. So, it represents a different trait about him. Yeah. But <laughs> Dwight, D-W-I-G-H-T, stands, uh, is for determined, worker, mm-hmm. intelligent, good worker, hard worker, <laughs> thoughtful. <laughs> and my favorite part about that, it's all amazing, but my favorite part is that the last one is thoughtful. <laughs> as if he'd put any thought into <laughs> worker, intelligent, good worker, hard worker. Do you remember when he's applying for jobs and he sends both a work resume and a karate resume? <laughs> or maybe it's mixed martial arts or whatever. But, you know, my favorite moments of Dwight are the moments where he's like surprisingly human. I don't know how else to say it. So, an example that comes to mind is how like, you know, you envision him alone on this farm. He only eats what he hunts or grows. Mm-hmm. He doesn't interact with people. He thinks things that people love are like unimportant. But then like you find out he loves or he watched The Apprentice with Donald Trump. He was sad that he missed an episode. Like those moments where like, oh, he actually does still enjoy Dwight. those little human things. Just normal human stuff. I thought you meant like emotionally. And I was well, thinking about there's a time where Pam cries, something happened, you know, yeah. whatever. She wants Jim and... Pam crying, you saying that doesn't narrow it down too much. Well, she cause... cried on Dwight's shoulder and yeah. he kind of hugged her or he was nice to her in some way, maybe gave her a tissue and then he kind of gently said to her, he must be PMSing pretty bad right now, huh? <laughs> <laughs> he still cares, he's just still Dwight. One of my other favorite Dwight things is how loyal he is. Sometimes, because sometimes he's not. Yeah, sometimes he'll stab Michael in the back for a chance at success. Right. He's almost always right there willing and able to be Michael's support and security when Michael's upset. Yeah. (laughs) And when Michael's upset, Dwight will like just assume the position of being in his office for moral support, even when Michael doesn't explicitly ask him to be there, right? Dwight will just be in the background agreeing with whatever Michael's saying to the camera. (laughs) Those are my favorite Dwight moments, that, those sorts of things. His relationship with Michael, even more so than his relationship with Jim, which I think most people would say is their favorite Dwight relationship. Yeah. But for me, it's Dwight and Michael's dynamic that I enjoy most. Okay, so we, we agree on number one. I'm going to save him for last again. Mm-hmm. I'm going to say that in your top five also is Daryl. It's not. I don't have Daryl. Although Daryl is very good and I, maybe I should have I put him in. Andy is... I didn't put Andy on here and I mean, I do think that Ed Helms is funny and that character is funny most of the time but he's... He's also annoying sometimes. Right. A lot of his comedy comes from like the cringe factor stuff. Michael's the cringe factor because he's such a dweeb or a douche or whatever. But he thinks he's cool. Yeah. And I don't know. There's a right balance of cringe. Yeah. Between like laughing with and then or laughing at and then also like if there's too much cringe, it's like I I can feel myself curling up into a ball on the inside like I just can't laugh right now. It's like all of our listeners. Yeah. Andy does that. Andy does that to me. Well, and that's summed up perfectly in the episode where Andy is trying to be Michael's second in command, right? And even Michael is like, this guy's too much. My, I will say my favorite, if I want to give a shout out to Andy for being fun, the episode where his phone is hidden in the ceiling and over and over you hear that acapella, that yeah. That's the one where he punches the wall at the end. Maybe my favorite Andy episode because he does slowly become 
human, like a rage-filled human, mm -hmm. but tries to keep it cool. There's some points where like he does that. There's like a head thing where he's like uh, trying to like uh -huh. hold in the rage and keep cool because Tuna's fucking with him. <laughs> Tuna. Uh, but then by the end of the episode, he punches his hole through the wall. And yeah, I, I like that. There should have been more of Andy having um, freakouts. Andy's not in my top five either, but a few things I'll say about him is I love he just will randomly sing like words and sentence like. <laughs> uh <-huh. laughs> you know who else does like, that in real who? life? Who? Oprah. Everybody loves Oprah and kisses her ass, but that's something she did wow. when she had oh, her damn. show. What? Give me an example. When she introduced people to come out, she would sing their names as if like an announcer would, say, would introduce like the host for Saturday Night Live say, tonight's host Steve Carell. Mm -hmm. That's the announcer's job. They have a voice that, and they're supposed to give it that flair. When Oprah would announce someone like Tom Cruise, she was just going to come out and like kiss his ass. And a lot of ass kissing going on on that. That's all so. Oprah's show was, was whose ass is getting kissed this week. She would sing like, Tom Cruise. Oh, okay. But the crowd would go fucking nuts, so it's hard to blame her. But if you isolate the crowd noise from that, it's just a crazy woman singing <laughs> True. the words she's trying to emphasize. And your top five. Why don't you just tell me someone who's in? Creed. Creed. That's a good one. I, he's in my honorable mentions. Creed is just up there probably for the same reason he creeped into your honorable mention. Creed is creepy. He says the most bizarre, disgusting, strange things like, mm -hmm. it's the one where they were all dealing, <laughs> dealing, Michael was dealing with the fact that Oscar is gay. Everyone else is fine. They're like, okay, Oscar, yeah. you are gay. They're all dealing with Michael dealing. Right. They're dealing with Michael dealing <laughs> that exactly Oscar is gay. And Creed has a... A moment to the camera where he says something. He's in, he's basically saying that he's fine with homosexuality. He said when he was in like a mud-filled uh, hippie orgies in the '60s, a man could have slipped in there into the mud, and there'd be no way of knowing, really. Yeah, yeah, that guy's weird. I love everything about Creed's like bizarre behavior. There's an episode where Ryan talks to the camera and says that he set Creed up with a blog. Uh -huh. <laughs> oh, I did. I had that. I followed that blog for a while. It was funny. Well, no, no, no. Well, maybe they created one later. There was but a real that... one you could go online and follow. They didn't update it very long. Okay. Well, in the episode, Ryan's telling that and then it shows what he did and he just set up a Word doc on Creed's computer and, <laughs> and, and Creed's typing like, hey, yo, what's happening, gang? <laughs> Do you have any guesses on my other two? One of them is a dark horse. I don't think you'll guess. Is one of them Kelly? Yeah, that's not the dark horse, but Kelly is in my top five. Because I almost put Kelly too. And I think that's secretly because, what is the writer and actress's name? Mindy. Mindy Kaling. I secretly, like I actually think Mindy Kaling probably like saved some of those like really spicy lines for mm -hmm. Kelly's character. Well, she's also one of the main writers on the show. Right. Now, Kelly almost gets in there because she doesn't appear very much, but when she does, she usually drops some bombs. She's a little more nondiscreet in the first few seasons and then later she has these just fucking awesome moments like there's one where Ryan's the big executive and she tells him, well, I'm pregnant <laughs> and then it immediately cuts. It immediately cuts to one of her talking head interviews and she just shakes her head at the camera and then it cuts back. Or there's the other one where she 
walks in wearing a suit and she says, the business bitch. Just stuff like that. I have to say that this is kind of off topic, but the camera cuts, that's really the funniest part of the whole show. Yeah, it makes the mockumentarians our character in yeah. itself. More than any one line or any one character, it's the character's interactions with the camera, one, and two, the just the perfectly timed cuts and zoom-ins and zoom-outs that the camera does that makes yeah. the show. I'm almost about to kick Creed out of my top five and put Kelly in instead. Yeah, she's great. So, how about, give me, is uh, Meredith in there? No. Angela? No. Here's my honorable mentions. Okay. Gabe? Have you still not seen the last two seasons? Yeah, I didn't watch much. I didn't, I haven't watched the last couple seasons. Okay, well, Gabe is so fucking funny in the, <laughs> the last few seasons. Creed is a honorable mentions. Mm-hmm. Oscar? Yeah. Toby? Just because of the meekness. Sure. Like the episode uh, where he can't bring himself to enter the church where... He's so like downtrodden and like, (laughs) yeah, a very honorable mention. Or when Dwight convinces Toby that Daryl is faking a leg injury to get workers comp. Mm -hmm. And so, Dwight and Toby go undercover to watch outside Daryl's house to see if he's using the leg. And then you see a behind shot, someone that looks like Daryl wearing the same jersey Daryl's wearing carrying like a huge bag of dog food and then Toby, completely out of character, is so angry he leans out the door and says, hey, you gonna eat that, all that dog food yourself, asshole? <laughs> and it turns around and it's Daryl's fucking like twin sister. Oh, no. And Toby just goes, drive, drive, drive. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, Toby. And my last honorable mention goes to Aaron, the receptionist. Oh, yeah. I love Aaron. I think of all my honorable mentions, Aaron would probably be the one I'd put at like a number six. So, I guess I still didn't guess the other two. Yeah, you won't. My number four is Robert California. Okay. He's in season eight. He's the first... The replacement, right? He replaces Michael and then Angelo Vickers, Will Ferrell, who we'll talk about later. I think he's extremely underrated. I know some people don't even like him, but Robert California is so perfect. Well, tell everyone who he's played by. Maybe that makes a big difference. James Spader. James Spader. Who also has a a role in one episode of Seinfeld, by the way, among many other things, The Blacklist. But he, in his first scene, is his job interview and he's talking about how everything is sex and sex is what sells. In the next episode, it's revealed he was going to take the branch manager job, Michael's job, and instead, he walks in, sees... (laughs) sees the staff just sitting there working and immediately is disgusted and walks out, <laughs> drives the Tallahassee headquarters and takes the new, the Joe's job, the CEO. He just has that power over people. Robert California is my number four. So, I have two Dwight, three Kevin, four Robert, five Kelly. If I did have a six, it'd be Aaron. That leaves my number one. Have I, who am I missing on yours? Am I missing one? I also have Stanley on mine. Stanley. Yeah, he's great. The, I can't remember the name. Boy, have you lost your mind because I'll help you find it. (laughs) Yeah. The actor's name is Leslie Baker. Is that Mm -hmm. his name? Sounds right. Listener of the show. (laughs) If it's not, I'm sorry. But he has the funniest face. Like he can make, (laughs) he can make a board face. Like he has like 10 different ways to make a board face (laughs) and they're all pretty funny. And sometimes both of his eyes are not open the same amount. Yeah. He's just great. It makes me laugh all the time. And he's so transparently all I about... I don't care. Yeah. And not wanting to work while getting... There's a scene where he's doing his annual review with Michael in his office and he turns on the charm for Michael because he wants his raise. Uh-huh. And Michael asks Stanley if he learned that in the hood. 
And normally Stanley would call him an idiot or whatever, but this time Stanley just like, goes, "Yes, I did." He goes, "Yes, in the ghetto, in fact." <laughs> and Michael's just mesmerized. <laughs> but those moments where Stanley is like purposely deceitful to get what he wants are great. Who was it? Oh, Stanley. Oh, he picked Stanley for basketball and then was really disappointed <laughs> he, when Stanley. He's black. <laughs> yeah, when Stanley was like, you know, he dribbled like an old man. <laughs> yeah. Who was it that was actually good at basketball? I can't remember. It was Phyllis and oh, yeah, Kevin. It was Phyllis. And Kevin. Kevin could shoot three throws and get it in every single time. And he did it off camera. And oh, right. I believe and Phyllis said I re- she played basketball in high school. Yeah. And Michael like makes fun of her. But I'm pretty sure Kevin could do, the actor could do that for real. And they just kept filming him until he missed. You know, at the top, you said that this, the American version of The Office, they made Michael less mean. Mm-hmm. Well, it's those moments where he like disqualifies Phyllis because she's fat <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> for that. And I have some more on that later. But let's talk about our number one. Both of our number ones. It's got to be Michael. Yeah. Tell me why Michael Scott's your number one. Besides George Costanza, he might be the greatest television character ever created. There's it's so funny. Much, I have that exact note. Like once they established the character, which didn't take long to do, I don't think. Because mm-hmm. Michael is another character everyone has been at some point or knows someone who is fairly often like Michael Scott. Mm-hmm. You know, they just put it all into one person and crank it up. Once they establish that character, it must be the most fun character to write for because I mean, you can throw any situation at him and there's a pretty like defined way that Michael Scott would react or deal with any situation. Most of them are funny. Yeah. And he's a really deep, complex character because he's insecure. He's obsessed with what people think of him, but he's also overly confident and arrogant. But also very good at his actual job when he does it. Or he's good at selling paper. I remember again in the Office Ladies podcast, today's sponsor, they were talking about how when they were developing the Michael character, they intentionally wanted to make him a good salesman. Because he was lacking in every other area of management. So, he is a good salesman and he can be a good boss. Um, But I do kind of prefer those early seasons where everyone just hated him and thought he was the biggest idiot, did not laugh at his jokes. Because later they kind of softened that. People were more tolerable of him. They were more helpful to him. And you know, I wrote the same thing. I wrote, maybe my favorite TV character ever, neck and neck with George Costanza. I think those two are the two best characters in TV history. Yeah. Your dog is cute, your kids are adorable, and your cat really does look good in that tutu. But there's only so many times you can talk about how cool velociraptors are, or how much you want to rub that fuzzy belly. How about a podcast with extraordinary people and scintillating conversation? It's The Derek Duvall Show! Find it at DerekDuvallShow.com, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you find your podcasts. And no, I will not be attending your cat's quinceanera. So yeah, Michael Scott, we're going to talk a lot more about Michael Scott today. So for now, I'm going to tell you what some of our listeners said. I asked on Twitter and Instagram, again, follow us at TennisPod. I asked, who's your favorite Office character? Uh, A podcast about something on Twitter, they said Creed. And I want to tell you that a podcast about something is a great show. They did a full episode covering the dinner party episode of The Office, which is the best and my favorite Office episode. Which one? The dinner party. That's the one where Michael and Jan are like terrible 
while they're hosting a dinner. Are we going to talk more about that later? Because yeah. I have, yes, there's something I read about that that I want to bring up. Yeah. Anyway, Grab Him in the Brisket podcast and the Stuck in the Middle podcast both chimed in and said Dwight was their favorite. Death by Champagne on Twitter said Angela. At Oki Quotes said David Brent. We have to have... A contrarian. A yeah, exactly. David Brent is great though. You just trolled me. And then at Chrissy Alice said Mose, Dwight's cousin. Remember him? Mm-hmm. We'll talk about Mose. And then a few from Instagram. Chris on Instagram said Michael Scarn. Do you know who that is? Agent Michael Scarn. Agent Michael Scarn. Uh, and then we have a few more votes for Creed. That came from The Camel. And then at Holly Lynn 87 on Instagram said Dwight. A lot of Dwight love. No one said Michael Scott other than Michael Scarn. Interesting. Well, you guys biffed it. So, that's favorite characters. Now, I want to talk to you about your favorite side characters. Or infrequent character? Side or infrequent characters. I said this when I, when I asked Brandon to compile this, what I said to him is these are characters that are in 10 or less episodes. So, a side character such as Meredith would not count here. Right. It has to be someone even more to the side. So, who do you got? Well, the first one I wrote down was Todd Packer. Todd Packer. He's my number three. I didn't count to see if he was in less than 10 episodes. I thought pretty that sure that he was. That was just a rough guideline, but I think he counts here. Todd Packer shows up within the first two episodes of the first season mm. and he's such a fucking awful dickhead. <laughs> the first thing he says to Jim in the series is he goes, Sup, Halpert, still queer? <laughs> <laughs> and Jim just looks at him like, oh, well, how do you even answer that? <laughs> I love that. It's such a, I mean, it's an, <laughs> a bullying insult from such a like bygone weird age. I'm sorry out there if you don't think it's funny. I think it's hilarious when people who say such like <laughs> idiotic bullying shit. He is so perfect at it and he's so out of touch. And you know, that line right there is a good example of why I read in an interview with Steve Carell where he said he would never do an office reunion and his reasoning was that it wouldn't be the real office because everything's so politically correct now, you couldn't say and do the things they did during the original run. Yeah. Which is... Like the, in the diversity episode. Yeah, diversity day. It's also, I think, in the first season and they... Uh, when uh, Angela has Jamaican on her head, they're mm -hmm. having to guess each other's ethnicities or race based on the stereotypes they're sharing with each other and... <laughs> Kevin asks Angela because her card says she's Jamaican. He says, I'm like, do you want to smoke some pot, Mon? And she's like, no. He goes, I think you do, Mon. You can't do that now. That reminds me of Kevin's Australian accent where he just goes, mate, on the end of every sentence. Yeah, Todd Packer is up there just because he's such a boorish, awful, obnoxious. He's like a frat boy in his 50s. Oh, man. The, yeah, the actor David Kechner? Kechner? I don't know. I love his character yeah, in Anchorman as well. Yeah, he's not, he's not too far, he, not, not too much unlike that character, Blake, kind of perverts from a bygone <laughs> era. Uh, also on my list, you mentioned him earlier, Dwight's cousin, Mose. Mose, he's on mine. The he's first time you see him, he's just like a feral, bearded. <laughs> like Amish, yeah, almost. Feral, bearded Amish critter that just sort of scampers <laughs> into the frame. And he like, doesn't he drop or like appear from something and then and run off? And anyway, the way he enters or shows up and that for the first time you see him, um, I remember made me laugh so hard the first time I saw it. It was so weird. Yeah. There's an episode where Jim and Pam are staying at Dwight's house because it's part of his bed and breakfast. Mm -hmm. 
and Dwight is wailing in the middle of the night and Jim is like, what is that noise? So, he goes out and he cracks open Dwight's door and Dwight has his back to the door and he's crying and he says, is that you, Mose? I can't remember the exact line but it's something like, did the lightning scare you, Mose? I'll come tuck you back into... Like, just that Mose is like this childlike character that's completely dependent on <laughs> Dwight, who's the last person you want to be dependent on. It's pretty great. And he's also one of the lead writers, I believe, the actor, not Mose. I have someone on here that is a very unsung hero. Hey, who's that? Hank, the security guard. Well, I sung his ass to number four you on did? my list. Yeah. <laughs> I can't believe it. He was Tell he me always why. Lo- he, because he always looked like he was always so like put <laughs> off with like the insanity that would sometimes pour out of the office, usually but led by Michael. I don't know, he just sticks out to life of like I don't know, he was always there ready to be like, yeah, whatever, I don't care. I'm There's turning a scene my head. where someone gives because Hank is a security guard that's in like the lobby of the building. Yeah, he doesn't work for Dunder Mifflin. He just works yeah. for the building. He doesn't give a shit what they're doing. There's a scene where someone had given him a note to tell someone else. I can't remember who, but someone comes into the lobby. It's like a scavenger hunt type of thing. I'm butchering this, but Hank says, um, you know, he reads the message and then he says, you're supposed to do this or, or some shit. <laughs> and it bleeps shit. And for some reason, the bleeping... <laughs> It makes it better. Because you, it's like everyone's had a, like known or been around someone who's like that security guard who like, when you actually talk to him, he doesn't have like a professional way. He's just like, I don't know, you're supposed to do this or some shit. He's just 100% Hank all the time. It's just amazing that he lives in the same universe so closely to Michael Scott. Yeah. I don't know if you would have seen this character because he I, he might have shown up in season seven or eight, but Nate from The Warehouse, Mm-mm. he's some like comedian or something that's in other shit. Let me see if you recognize his actor name. His character is Nate Nickerson. He's played by actor Mark Proksh. Anyway, there's these scenes where like he, <laughs> it's when Andy's no, trying to refill. I've never seen this guy before. And he's trying to refill the warehouse staff after they all leave from winning the lottery and they have no one to fill orders. Mm -hmm. It's like a misfit of people in the conference room trying to apply for trying to get this job. They all end up getting it. But Nate, when he goes up and talks to Andy, he says something about how he has a hearing problem. He's not deaf and he can hear, but sometimes he can't hear words coming in certain direction and he just goes on and on and Andy's, and then Andy's talking to someone else and Nate's like, what? Were you talking to me? And he's like, no. And then there's also a, a moment where Daryl gets Val in the warehouse some really nice gloves for Christmas. Mm-hmm. But when he finds out Val didn't get him anything, he pivots and pretends he didn't get her anything and he hands the box of a present to Nate who's standing right there. And Nate just opens it and says, Daryl, these are so nice. Thank you. So, anyway. Oh, wait, I'm reading this because I had to look him up. Later, he gave Daryl a book of Nate coupons, including yes. one for a free tickle attack. <laughs> that's, that's Nate's response gift to the gloves that he yeah. had gotten, which were ladies' Christmas gloves. <laughs> and also, when they want Nate to do something or they can't remember why, but they tell him his mom died. <laughs> and, and apparently, they tell him that all the time because they're like, it's for real this time. And he always believes it. <laughs> It's hard for me to do justice to Nate, but he is one of my favorite characters in the later seasons and he's in my top five side characters. I guess I'm going to have to watch some of them because it does make me laugh that they would tell someone their mom died multiple times. 
It is strange that you love The Office so much, but you haven't seen the last two seasons, which have been out for going on 10 years. Well, I didn't have Michael. I know, but they're still great. My honorable mentions before I get to my number one are Joe Bennett. She's the CEO of Sabre, played yeah. by Kathy Bates. And also, David Wallace. I love David because he's always like the one reasonable straight man. Just in every normal person. Yes. Uh, but there are those times where <laughs> he's so dumbfounded by something Michael says that he's just like, mm-hmm, yep. Huh. <laughs> and also when he invents Suck It. Remember with this little redhead kid playing the drums? Suck it! Well, that's David Wallace. Oh, I do not remember that. Okay, great. Good talk. Who else is on yours? That's it. We nailed them all. Oh, okay. I have one more. D'Angelo Vickers, Will Ferrell's character. I didn't see that episode either. Okay. See, Will Ferrell is in the last three episodes with Steve Carell Mm -hmm. and then one more after that. And there's this fucking scene. There's a couple of things, but one, Jim and Pam trying to get him, Will Ferrell's, uh, who plays D'Angelo, his good side when he becomes the new boss um, and they keep trying to woo him by showing him cute pictures of their baby mm-hmm. and telling baby stories and finally he tells them to like scram, I don't care about your baby and he says to the camera, I swear, that baby could be on the cover of a magazine called Babies I Don't Care About. <laughs> and then there's another moment where D'Angelo has an inner circle, uh, like a clique. Mm-hmm. of men that they come into the office and they shoot little basketballs into one of those like door basketball hoops and they talk uh, shop and Jim is outed at one point for some reason and Jim tries to sneak back in because he doesn't like being out and D'Angelo just stops laughing mid-sentence and just does a cold dead Will Ferrell stare <laughs> <laughs> at Jim. That kills me. And my last D'Angelo Vickers moment. See, you can't appreciate these but all the, mm-hmm. all the D'Angelo fans out there are, are yucking it up. Uh, he's a bit of a show-off. He has a little bit of Michael in him in that way. He's like a juggling champion and he says he forgot his juggling balls in the car. So, he'll just pretend and do the movements as if he did have the ball. So, he proceeds to do like a five-minute juggling routine with imaginary balls uh-huh. to the song Wake Me Up by Evanescence in the <laughs> office and it's just Will Ferrell pretending to juggle for five minutes and he, he takes it dead serious as only Will Ferrell can. It's It's a great... It's a great little scene, but I feel like I'm talking to a ghost here who can't appreciate it. Let's just move on then. Sorry. Who are your least favorite characters? I only put down one and it's Karen. Whoa! Hot take. Why? Because she wasn't funny. She was just the plot point. She was just something okay. to like get in the way of Jim and Pam for a while so they could stretch that out. I have a few and I'll just go through them quickly. I'm not saying that each of these characters don't have moments here and there that I like. But they, I consider these the most expendable slash characters that get on my nerves most often. Nellie, season eight and nine, you wouldn't know her. No. Nope. But goddamn, there's an episode where she just takes Andy's job from him. She just sits in his office and starts doing his job. And that episode makes me legitimately furious. <laughs> I can't even watch it. Two is Phyllis. Phyllis makes me laugh sometimes, but usually it's people saying and doing things to her. Less right. often, it's her doing something funny. Roy. Yeah, Roy he, sucks. He's important, but he's not a character I enjoy. And then my last one is Holly Flax. The female Michael Scott? Yeah, she's just like a lesser Michael Scott to me. It's like, just show me more Michael. I don't, and I don't enjoy Michael when he's not being himself almost. When like having emotions and stuff? Well, because Michael is himself with Jan, right? He's still an idiot with Jan and he still like says inappropriate things, gets Jan in trouble. But with Holly, he cares so much because he loves her. <laughs> 
Right. Well, which is fine. Like, Michael can find love. But as a viewer, she made Michael less interesting to me. But there were a couple of votes on Twitter, including from Grab Him in the Brisket and from Always Time for True Crime, the podcast. They voted for Ryan as their least favorite. And I can see that. I like Ryan. He makes me laugh. But I could see someone being annoyed by him. He was Michael Scott's favorite. He was. Michael would always make uncomfortable comments about Ryan being attractive. I have one of those later. Okay. I have a long quote from Michael later that involves Ryan. That's my... Yeah. I'm most looking forward to talking quotes, but there's one more section I want to get through before that. Do you have any favorite... I put favorite moments and or episodes. I have a little mix of both and that's where one of these quotes come from because it's actually kind of a whole tack on to an episode. Well, why don't you lead with that? Well, the episode is in season two. It's called Take Your Daughter to Work Day. And everyone brings, or everyone who has a daughter brings them to work. And Michael is clearly like upset that the kids are not interested in him and what he's doing. And I think he's feeling weird about not having a child. Yeah. So he sits in the conference room with all these children. (laughs) He tells them there was a show called Fundle Bundle and I was the star Mm -hmm. with this little smirk on his face. Yeah, and, and he kid, always has those glances to the camera, right. like ever so subtle glances at the camera that he perfected. The kids don't believe him and he's like, I'll prove it. And he immediately leaves the conference room and, hit, and said, this is when Ryan is still an intern. This is the quote. So, keep in mind, Ryan is just sitting at his desk and then this is the, what he hears. Yeah. Now. Ryan, can you come here a second? I would like you to go to my mother's house in Dixon City. And if she's at the pool, the back kitchen window should be unlocked. <laughs> I want you to boost yourself up. I want you to go down to the basement. In the basement is a tape labeled Fundle Bundle. I want you to grab it. I want you to get my guitar. I want you to get a tambourine. Do you know how to play the tambourine? (laughs) The first question is, why doesn't Michael just do it himself? Like everything about it. Can you come here a second? Then I'd like you to go to my mother's house. (laughs) From the very beginning, it just spirals out of control the things he wants him to do and then after ryan leaves michael tells the camera good attitude hottest in the office (laughs) for no reason just comments on how hot (laughs) he thinks ryan is well ryan's also his first choice in recruiting for the michael scott paper company even though ryan is worthless as an employee there's another favorite moment i have after that where they're watching the show funnel bundle and michael was not the star he was a kid he was in one episode and was asked a question by this mouse puppet, a a Muppet. (laughs) Yes. Michael answers, the child Michael answers, and whatever it is, is basically saying like, when he grows up, he wants to have, oh, he wants to have a big family so they can never (sighs) leave him and there will always be someone who loves him. So he can have friends. Yeah, so he can have friends. And the Muppet, (laughs) Muppet... The reaction from this Muppet is like... Keep in mind, it's a hand inside of a puppet. It's a hand inside of a puppet, but that Muppet is like, looks like you just told him the most harrowing Vietnam flashback. That Muppet looks like, holy fuck, the trip this kid just laid on me. (laughs) That puppet conveys a lot of emotion considering it's a puppet and it has like three seconds. Just silence and this Muppet's face is like... Yeah, I can picture that exact moment. He just brought Fundle Bundle way down. (laughs) Speaking of Vietnam, there's the Prince Family Paper episode. Might be season four or five. That's when Michael and Dwight are trying to steal all the clients from Prince Family Paper. Mm -hmm. By the way, have you ever seen a little indie paper company ever in your your life? 
Okay. But they go in there and Michael's like making friends with the owner and his family who are all really nice. And the owner says something about when he was in Vietnam. He started the business after he got back from Vietnam or something like that. Uh-huh. And Michael responds by saying, oh, Vietnam, I hear it's great this time of year. Yeah. Completely missing the point that he served in Vietnam. No. Uh, one more is uh, the dinner party, which we talked about earlier. Mm-hmm. I stand by it being the best office episode. This is where Michael and Jan, Jan's a really great character too that we haven't really talked about. But they trick, Michael tricks Jim and Pam into going over for dinner. Dwight is upset that he's not invited and it's because he doesn't have a plus one. Why does and he trick no, them into coming to dinner? Because Michael always wants to hang out with Jim and Pam and Jim always says something like, we, can't. we have plans, yeah. we can't this night and then Michael makes up a reason for them all to stay late at work and then it gets canceled all of a sudden. This is all manipulated by Michael. Right. And then Michael says, uh, well, since you don't have plans tonight and then Jim and Pam can't get out of it. And Dwight wants to go but he can't because there's not enough wine glasses. Uh-huh. So, Dwight shows up later with an old lady who's his babysitter and his date, his right. babysitter as a child and he brings wine glasses too and their own food. <laughs> and then later, Dwight and his babysitter date are sitting at the dinner table <laughs> and she's talking, making small talk and Dwight just, he's eating like a turkey leg and just casually without even looking at her just tells her to shut up. <laughs> <laughs> but that's one of a hundred amazing moments in that episode. I read somewhere speculation and there was several points of proof that this person pointed to that they believed that Jan and Michael were inviting Jim and Pam alone to dinner to swing. I remembered this. Tell me about it though. I can't, I I don't remember. I can't remember where I found it. And there were several specific things and then there was one very strong piece of evidence but I no, and, and all the prep that I did for this, I looked for it. I mean, I obviously know which episode it is, but I could not find that fan theory on... On Pornhub when you were doing research on yeah, swinging parties? On um, Michael and Jan setting up a, a swing party. There might have been like an undertone of that, I remember. A few other episodes I'll mention quickly. Business school, that's where Michael is invited to speak at Ryan's business school class. Mm-hmm. That's where Ryan tears up a textbook because he says, these are meaningless. You won't learn from this. And then he also throws candy bars into the crowd as if they're an elementary student. Oh, that's right. And it hits him in the head. Well, on my list, the Dundies episode. Yes, of course. Anytime there's Dundies, I enjoyed it. The very first little glimpse of the Dundies you get is Michael Scott wearing a tuxedo t-shirt and Dwight is behind him playing Mambo number no. five on a recorder <laughs> with that high-pitched whistly noise and Michael is singing lyrics where he just switched up the random ladies' names in Mambo number no. five with Angela, with the women from the office. Mm-hmm. The sexual harassment episode where Michael gets very close to Phyllis and says something like, the only thing I'm worried about is getting a boner. <laughs> getting a boner. <laughs> I have that on my quotes. <laughs> the way he says boner is so juvenile. Uh, the injury, the one where he burns his foot on a George Foreman grill because he likes yes. to wake up to the smell of frying <laughs> Fresh bacon. cooked bacon. <laughs> but my, maybe my favorite episode overall, at least the one that sticks out to me the most, tickles me, is called Back from Vacation. It's when you find out that Michael took a vacation to a sandals resort in Jamaica with Jan. And Jan doesn't want people to know. Uh, Michael comes back and is super tan and has a little braid in his hair (laughs) (laughs) and keeps talking about like the way they do things on the island. He purchased a steel drum, Yep. but Michael 
only knows one note and he keeps playing in his office. Feeling hot, hot, hot. <laughs> and then he does a little dance with his sticks and does it again. Feeling hot, hot, hot. Yeah. But that reminds me of when Michael, when he's in certain moods, will find free music samples on Amazon uh-huh. to play in his office. Over and over. Or yeah. what, no, he plays a sad one. So yeah. he doesn't have to pay he doesn't have to pay iTunes. He just plays the preview of it over and over. It's like thirty seconds. It was something like You're beautiful that <laughs> it was one of those like sad songs or something. Anyway. But my favorite part of the episode is Jamaican Jan's Sun Princess, which is the file name. Jamaican Jan's Sun Princess is uh-huh. the file name of the photo of Jan Topless that he accidentally shares with the packaging department. He meant to send it to Todd Packer. Right. As proof that he went to Sandals, Jamaica with Jan, but he accidentally sends it to packaging. And Daryl immediately forwards it onto the rest of the office or everyone in the company. <laughs> but Jan is topless in the picture, laying down. She's like sunning her back, you know. Oh, baby. Michael is behind her and he has an obnoxious smear of zinc oxide on his nose, the, you know, the very white yeah. crappy smear on your nose at the beach. And a huge smile and his arms are out to the side. The way he's posing behind her is like he's presenting her and himself together like, we're here together in the picture. The point of the episode where they show the actual picture that's been sent around fucking annihilates me. It annihilates you, wow. The way he's posing behind her, so happy (laughs) to be like, look at me, I'm here with Jan. He's more excited about everyone knowing he's with Jan it's, than yes, just being with Jan. Yes, he's clearly taking that picture like, look, I'm here at Sandals with Jan and he could yeah. not fucking wait. He'd been in the office all of like 15 minutes before he sends it to someone. It reminds me of when Jan and Michael kiss at the Chili's parking lot mm-hmm. and Michael wants to be like an item after that and Jan doesn't. He chases her down to the elevator and he's like, why? Why not? She's like, it's not your looks. It's, it's you're just stupid, Michael, whatever. And he goes, so it's not my looks. And she just... <laughs> <laughs> and she sighs and leaves. And she takes as a compliment. Okay, one more I want to mention is the lecture circuit. This is where Michael and Pam travel together to go to all the different Dunder Mifflin offices and Michael speaks about how his branch has done so well in sales. This is, remember, where he brings a chainsaw and Pam uses it to say slash through the sales. Oh, God. But Michael gets up in front of a group of strangers to him, which is another sta- a branch at another staff, and he talks about his sales techniques. And he says, here's the quote. Again, he's standing at the front of a conference room. Everyone's looking at him. I don't know you, but I don't need to know you in order to sell to you. That is why I've asked you to go around and tell me your names. I have an amazing mnemonic device by which I've memorized all of your names. Shirty, Mole, Lazy Eye, Mexico, Baldy, Sugar Poops, Black Woman. <laughs> I have taken a unique part of who you are and I have used that to memorize your name. And then he looks at one person. Wait, the unique part of who you are. One of them was just black woman. (laughs) Here it is again. Shirty. Shirty? Yeah. (laughs) Mole. Lazy eye. Mexico. Baldy. Sugar boobs. Why Mexico? Is that a Mexican person? Yeah, it is. In Diversity Day, he asks Oscar if he's offended when people say the word Mexican. (laughs) Okay, but back to this. He looks at one guy in particular and he says, Baldy, your head is bald. It is hairless. It is shiny. It is reflective like a mirror. M, your name is Mark. (laughs) And that was the wrong name, by the way. It was. (laughs) 
Wait, shirty <laughs> is someone who's wearing a shirt? I don't have the picture in front of me, but I don't know. It's just Michael. Oh, goodness. <sighs> a few nominations that we got from listeners. Uh, a podcast about something, again, brought up basketball. Mm-hmm. And I think that's episode one of season two. You brought that one up. That's where Stanley dribbles weird and Michael's obnoxiously unsportsmanlike. And then also product recall in season three. This is the one where Jim impersonates Dwight. He walks in wearing a tucked in shirt and glasses. Right. Bears goes, beats Battlestar Galactica. That's product recall. Okay. So, are you ready to move to quotes? Sure. Do you have some? Yeah, I have three. I have several. They're all Michael quotes. I had forgotten about this one. We were re-watching the other night and this, this made me laugh really hard. Michael is talking about downsizing and about whether uh-huh. or not he should tell his office that they're at risk of being downsized. And he says, am I going to tell him? No, I'm not going to tell him. I don't see the point of that. As a doctor, you would not tell a patient if they had cancer. <laughs> I remember that. Next one, I think everyone has probably heard this one a few times. Would I rather be feared or loved? Easy, both. I want people to be afraid of how much they love me. It's so perfect. I want to know what percentage of those lines, those one-liners are him on the spot versus scripted. Yeah. Don't take my word for this, but I think I've heard that Steve Carell is not like a super great ad-libber. No, no, you know what? I'm getting it wrong. The story was that Mike, Steve Carell is not like the super hilarious guy off camera. Uh, he's more of a normal, serious guy, whereas someone like a Will Ferrell is always funny no matter what setting. Will Ferrell could show up to my house and tell me that... (laughs) (laughs) Your parents are dead. Like my family died in an accident and I would be like, God, man, you are funny as hell. (laughs) You're joking right now, aren't you? He's like, no, I am dead serious right now. I'm serious as a heart attack. God, man, you are... You just can't help it, can you? (laughs) I know. Tickling me this way. Uh, So, the last one is one I didn't remember. I just kind of came across this Michael quote. It's just a good classic, Michael. He says, there are four kinds of business, tourism, food service, railroads, and sales, (laughs) and hospitals, manufacturing, and air travel. (laughs) That might be the business school episode. That honestly sounds like something that Donald Trump would say. (laughs) I know. I know. I think we'd be better off right now if Michael Scott was president. Yeah. And that's saying something. Only four kinds of business and one of them is railroads. And then he immediately names two or three more after that. I have quotes from others but since you did Michael, let me start with Michael. Yeah. If I had a gun with two bullets and I was in a room with Hitler, Bin Laden and Toby, (laughs) I would shoot Toby twice. (laughs) Explain to me like I'm five and this is when Oscar's trying to explain the surplus to him Mm -hmm. and then Oscar does. He tells him about the lemonade stand. (laughs) Explain to me like I'm three. (laughs) This isn't a quote, but his book, his book that he's always working on is called Somehow I Manage. I just think that's the perfect name. <laughs> Somehow I Manage. <laughs> it reminds Michael, me of it, on The Simpsons, Milhouse's dad recorded an album called Can I Borrow a Feeling? <laughs> Michael is wanting a girlfriend because he just broke up with someone, might have been Jan. Yeah. And so, he tasks everyone in the office to come up with eligible bachelorettes for him to woo. Um, And Phyllis is talking about this friend she has. Sandy, you'd love her. She's great, great personality. And Michael immediately quizzes her. He says, this is the exchange. Mm -hmm. Michael, could we share a rowboat? Could a rowboat support her? Phyllis says, what are you asking? Michael, I think I'm being very clear what I'm asking. Would an average sized rowboat support her without capsizing? Uh, Long pause. It bothers me that you're not answering the question. 
Phyllis, no, all right, no, she couldn't fan in a rowboat. Michael says, damn it, I knew it, Phyllis, I knew it. His instincts were right. Use the rowboat. It's a friend of Phyllis, she assumes she's overweight. A few more here, I'll rattle them off quick. Creed. Oh, you're paying way too much for worms. Who's your worm guy? Yeah, he's got a worm guy. This is a talking head to the camera. If I can't scuba, then what's this all been about? What am I working toward? <laughs> in the episode where Dwight hires a photographer to take photos of everyone in the office, for nefarious means, of course, Creed is taking a portrait with two people. And then he tells the camera, if my parents see this, I'm toast. <laughs> <laughs> toast. <laughs> One more Creed is um, he walks up to Pam's desk while she's at reception and just stares at her with a creepy look on his face. And Pam says, please stop staring at me. And he just smiles and nods and says, in a minute. And then he keeps uh-huh. staring. <laughs> He's getting his fill. All right, I'm going to do Dwight and then I'll finish with Kevin. And my Kevin quote is my all-time favorite office moment. Okay. So, you have that to look forward to. Here's Dwight in an exchange with Andy. This is in the duel when Andy finds out Angela has been cheating on him with Dwight. And they're in the parking lot. Andy has his car and he's pinned Dwight against the shrubs. I think we can all picture this. And Dwight is like hitting Andy's hood of his car with his hand or briefcase or something. And Andy says, you give up? He's yelling out the window at Dwight. You give up? Dwight, never. Get out and face me like a man. Andy, I am a man. I'm a bigger man than you'll ever be. I will never sleep with another man's fiance. Dwight, you're not a man. You don't know how to take care of her. All you do is dress fancy and sing. La, 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 la. What does that mean? You can't even protect her. Andy, protect her from what? Bears? You idiot. When's the last time you saw Baron Scranton? And then Dwight looks offended and he pauses and then makes a snarl and says, Last year, idiot. (laughs) That always gets me. Wait, he probably did. Last year is the last time you saw a bear. Idiot. Through concentration, I can raise and lower my cholesterol at will. Jim, why would you ever raise your cholesterol, Dwight? So I can lower it. So I can lower it. Here's Dwight. Congratulations on your one cousin. I have 70. (laughs) (laughs) I have 70. Each one better than the last. (laughs) He kind of... He's a one-upper. His responses are not that different from like a 13 or 14-year-old. In an ideal world, I would have all 10 fingers on my left hand, so my right hand could just be a fist for punching. <laughs> would be ideal. Yeah. The last Dwight is, you couldn't handle my undivided attention. <laughs> 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 all right. My last two. Two Kevin quotes. First, uh, oh, sorry, I have three. First, he says to Oscar, and he has a smile and he's like chuckling while he says it. Mm-hmm. Do you like it as much as you like men's butts? <laughs> I can't remember. What does Oscar say to that? Does this I not can't remember. Reply? I think he doesn't reply. And then Kevin is at a house party. It might be the episode where they're all watching Glee and he crawls under a blanket in a bed. It's not his bed. And he has a plate with him and Dwight's there and he says, I wanted to eat a pig in a blanket, in a blanket. <laughs> that one I don't understand. Why? I mean, maybe I need to see it. He gets in someone else's bed. I know he gets bed. in the blanket. Okay. I understand Psychic this. Psychic host Brandon Kaufman, everyone. All right. My all-time favorite office moment. This is in drug testing. This slays me every time. It's when Dwight orders urine testing for drugs in the office. It's the same episode where Michael frames Toby, I think, mm-hmm. for marijuana. It's Kevin's turn for his urine sample and he walks up and the lady who's there administering the urine test, she hands him a cup. And Kevin says, I'd like a magazine, please. 
And she says, we just need your urine. And he says, I'd still like one. And then it zooms in on the lady's face and she is appalled and not sure how to respond. <laughs> it, it does a quick zoom into her face and then it cuts in the end of scene. And I swear to God, I could just watch that on a continuous loop all day and I'll laugh every time. Maybe the most sinister thing Kevin ever shared. <laughs> it's still like a magazine for his urine sample. <laughs> So, that's The Office. We're obviously only scratching the surface here. So, maybe we'll need to revisit this sometime. Per chance. Then again, maybe not. That's The Office. I put it right below Seinfeld on my all-time favorite list. And uh, did you know The Office is leaving Netflix at the end of the year? Or maybe sooner than the end of the year. It's leaving it this year. It's going to some other thing that they want you to pay for? Going to Peacock, which is NBC and Universal's new streaming service coming out. Fuck off, Peacock. It's not going to happen. Well, I hate to say it, but if they have the office, I might have to get it. I think it would be more cost effective to like just own the digital versions of all the seasons. I own every episode on DVD. <laughs> but the problem is it's such a pain in the ass to get you the DVDs out. You don't want to put a DVD in. The other day, we got a new entertainment center. So, I took all the DVDs and Blu-rays out of the old one, put them in the new one. I was like, why the fuck am I doing this? And if my kid asks to watch a movie, that is on DVD, the first thing I do is look to see if it's available for free from a streaming service. Even if you spend several minutes doing yes. that search. When, when I you could, could just get the DVD out. And then sometimes I've even said, I'd still rather rent it on Apple TV than, <laughs> than push the input button three times, switch over to input channel one and fire up the Xbox in order to play this DVD. I don't want to do any of that. I just want to keep using the remote I'm using right now. The hardest part about DVDs is you have to skip through the trailers every time at the top. I paid for the DVD. Why are you still selling me other fucking movies? It would be one thing if you could watch them like the first time you put the DVD in and then never again. Because by the time you... Because if you watch this DVD 15 years later, those trailers are meaningless now. If you ever wanted to like tempt me to kick a hole through the wall in my house... You put me in this scenario where my child is asked to watch something that we only have on DVD. So, I've switched over to the Xbox. I put the goddamn DVD in and now it's starting to show me trailers for movies that came out 15 years ago Right. that we don't want to watch and I'm trying to get to the top menu the to or yeah. the title menu. And, and sometimes you, it takes like five minutes. Sometimes you push it and all it does is give you a symbol that says circle with a slash through it. It basically yeah. says like, no. Yes. It's just, it's your DVD player crossing its arms in front of his chest and going, no, <laughs> I'm not going to do it right now. I hate You're going to watch this trailer for Shark Boy and Lava Girl again. Fuck you. You also can't skip like the FBI warning, the copyright warning. Yeah, I'm not. Yeah, and you can't skip it. And if you try to go to the top menu or title menu, the DVD player will tell you, no. You got to be said. warned every time that the fucking FBI is breathing down your shoulder. Yeah, when they're not assassinating JFK, am I right? We should have just done this episode on all the ways we don't want to dig out DVDs for our children to watch. I think we need to do an episode that's just all bitching. the ways Brandon's <laughs> ass is being chapped right now. The trailer hitches. Just all bitching. That's what we're here for. We're here to bitch. Uh, we're also here for you and we want to thank you for listening. We're here for you, bitches. We're here for you, ignorant sluts. Yikes. That's an office quote. That's an office quote. Remember? He's quoting Saturday Night Live. Okay, whatever. Fucking Did smart you know guy that? over here. Did no, you know that? 
No. Well, that's part of the joke. That's what makes the joke funny. It's funny on its own. It's, he's using that joke it's wrong. It's funny on its own too. The original joke is a point counterpoint between a man and a woman on Saturday Night Live. The man was Dan Aykroyd and the woman was Jane Curtin. They're going back and forth making these arguments and the woman played by Jane Curtin makes a really solid point and Dan Aykroyd <laughs> just comes back with, Jane, you ignorant slut. <laughs> okay, that is funny. There but you go. Brandon, everyone, here to ruin moments that you thought were Office Originals. Uh, hopefully, they knew what was going on. Okay, anything else before I sign us off? Anything else you want to point out that I'm doing wrong? Nope, that's all good. Okay, that's we'll be fine. back with episode 81 next week. We'll go back to list guessing and Brandon, don't forget, I will have the list next week. Oh, good. And it's going to be a good one. A bloody one, you might say. Bloody good. Is it about menstruation? Okay, it's not. We'll see you next week. Bye. Bye.